Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and welcome along to Midweek Motorsport. Oh, it's a little before 8 o'clock actually here in Not here the it isn't. UK. No, it's a minute before. I've got on my atomic clock here. 30 seconds, let's call it. But by the time it gets to the people who are listening, it'll be just after 8 o'clock here in the UK. On a beautiful early um, sort of mid-spring evening, I suppose. John Hindorf with you. Uh, Tim Gray is up in London. Hello, Tim. Hello, John. Uh, tonight... Obviously, we have some sad news to report with the death of Nicky Lauder. Not the only death, I'm afraid, that we'll be talking about tonight as well. But otherwise, uh, the sport does continue and no one uh, more so than Nicky Lauder would want us to talk about um, just him and certainly not his death. So we will be talking about uh, the weekend's action as we preview the Monaco Grand Prix in Monte Carlo. We'll also be looking ahead to the Bruno Creventic 12 hours uh, and looking back at the weekend's action uh, as well. And there was plenty of it to look back on and plenty of talking points there. Uh, but the big news tonight uh, is, I'm afraid, uh, the death of Nicky Lauder at 70. Let's have your remembrances of the great man, please, to add spec Tim. Tim? Well, as you say, the... Uh lead story tonight is the death age 70 of uh, three-time Formula One world champion uh, Nicky Lauder who died on Monday um, I think everybody will want to have their say about uh, Nicky Lauder tonight um, the stats don't do the man justice do they Tim really um, everybody knows about his comeback after the fiery accident at the Nürburgring, he was back in the car remarkably 40 days uh, after that accident that nearly claimed his life. But if ever there was a life fully lived, particularly as possibly a second chance, then it was Nicky Lauder, was it not? Absolutely. Um, Sam Smith is with us tonight. He's going to mostly be with us in the second hour talking about Formula E. And uh, thought we'd have a quick thought from you, Sam. Um, before you come back in in hour two uh, about Nicky Lauder, a real a real talent lost and a giant of the sport, a hero and legend, somebody who was part of the very fabric of of racing, um, and uh, what a character, you know, somebody I I only met very very briefly, but the people, my peers that I looked up to in in writing and broadcasting, it got so many, you know, everyone has a great story about Nicky Lauder, whether it's on and off the track, and I was lucky enough to get to know. John Watson quite a bit, um, and John's stories of of some of the 
let's let's say extracurricular activities they got up to at Grand Prix are, are fascinating and um, what a, what a great guy and, and and his career is just extraordinary. There's no other word for it. Somebody who um, did it the hard way, even though he had the opportunity for um, you know with with family wealth, but he 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 did it his own way, and I think that's a fitting epitaph that somebody like him a great champion three times champion does it his own way and not only in racing you know in business as well the the fact that he he founded his own airline and ran his own airline so successfully in a name that you see at airports today uh, so a great a businessman a, a great racer a great charger my key memory of him was is watching him at brands hatch in 1984 with those great mclaren tag uh, cars the the turbo cars full Full boost and and Louder never won, never a great qualifier. He was a much better racer as 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 a qualifier in his career. And I just remember the metronomic consistency he had that day. And I, I just looked it up actually on Wikipedia. He won that race by forty two seconds, which is around Brands Hatch is remarkable when you consider what a driver circuit it is. But I just remember not a wheel was out of place. Very calculated. Very Louder. And um, yeah, I wish I'd have got. I wish I'd have met him more. And I, I was lucky enough to know uh, one of his sons, uh, Matty, Matty Louder. And um, you know, I've had the occasional discussion with Matty about his upbringing and his time in Ibiza with his father. And um, yeah, I'm really thinking about him and his family. And uh, I think just the fact that we've lost such a great, uh, a great champion and character who really did, I think, in my mind and everyone's mind transcended racing you know you, you ask a person in the street who doesn't know anything about racing and there are certain names they'll know in in the states it will be aj foyt and mario andretti over in europe and p- potentially globally it will be guys like jackie stewart and, and nicky louder and sterling moss and uh, yeah sadly we lost uh, a true great sam smith thank you and sam will be back with us uh, in the second half of tonight's programme, uh, uh, wearing his e-racing 365 hat this week, uh, look at the current state of, of Formula E. Uh, Tim? Uh, well, also joining us tonight are our Formula One correspondent, Nick Damon. Uh, good evening, Tim. Good evening, John. Good evening, everybody. And uh, Joe Bradley. Hello. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'd like to start with you, Joe, first. Uh, I, your... Uh, a gentleman of a certain age. Exactly what I was going to say, just as you were getting into that. Where on earth is he going with this? Well, he's going so to say... You, you will uh, have uh, a lot more memories of uh, seeing Nicky Lauder racing than uh, either Nick or I, for example. I was there that day that Sam has just been talking about in 84, and it was that season, Lauder uh, having his first of his comebacks with uh, McLaren, and he quickly established that he was never going to be as quick over the over the lap than Alan Prost, who was the young upcoming upstart. And so he just he just gave away qualifying and concentrated on a race setup, and he won the world championship in '84 by doing that. Um, you know what? This week has made me think um, pretty hard, and I've got to say that Nicky Lauder has been a big, massive part of my life since my childhood. He has been around without him living next door to me, obviously, but he's been a big part of my life. And and when I think of the influences that got me involved in this sport, Nicky Lauder is one of those main influences. I was going to say to you, Joey, there was no background in motor racing in your family. No influence whatsoever. Came I don't from, know where it came from. Came from the northeast, 
yeah. nobody in your family Big raised. Big football area, our area. Absolutely. Um, so was Nicky Lauder the thing that drew you into motor racing? And if so, why? Yes. And I don't know, but I'll give you, I'll, I'll kind of describe um, what I mean. I was aware of Nicky Lauder, perhaps because he's got such a cool name. And I, I loved racing cars. Um, I wasn't as big a geek and anorak as I was as I am now when I was 10 years old. But I do remember him in the Marlboro BRM. And then the thing that really struck and still I can still remember sat there watching the 1974 British Grand Prix from Brands Hatch. And he was in the Ferrari 312T, transformed Ferrari. Ferrari were in the doldrums. He was he came into Ferrari with that engineering prowess of his. Um and he was leading the race at Brands Hatch and he got a puncture. And I still remember the TV shots of the car squirming around on the rear end on the rear wheel puncture. Came into the pits, relinquished the lead to Jordi Schechter, and then he couldn't get back out of the pits. Because because all the spectators and officials had gone to the pit exit because there was two laps to go. So they wanted a great view of the checkered flag. And there was the Ferrari stuck in the pit lane. It went to court and it, it did all that. And then in 75, you know, Nicky Lauder just became... I was a Nicky Lauder fan. I had a huge poster of Nicky Lauder in the 312T with a big white airbox. Um, I the, bought you a poster recently for, well, a couple of still, years ago for your birthday. It's in, it's in my... The repro. It's in, yeah, it's in my... Because I knew that how important that was to you. Yeah, absolutely. It was um, it was 76 uh, 312T in Monaco. But, I, you know, I remember going to school and no, and no one in our school was really into motorsport. And But it, all my mates have popped up on Facebook and said, I remember you being a big Nicky Lauder fan. Yeah. And then in 76, I was kind of torn because um, I've got to add, Formula One wasn't reported back in the mid-70s no. at all. It wasn't on TV. There was one race a year screened on TV, if you were lucky, and that was the British Grand Prix. And then... In 76, it was, you know, that wasn't, the British Grand Prix wasn't screened for whatever reason. Um, and there, there's James Hunt. You, you've savoured every uh, newspaper the day after the Grand Prix mm. to find out who won the Grand Prix. Oh, you waited for the weekly motorsport marks. And then as, as Hunt became um, um, a protagonist in the, in, the, in the championship, you got the odd radio report. But I was still a Nicky Lauder fan. And I was kind of torn, and I was kind of torn at 14 years old, thinking, should I be a James Hunt fan? You know, should because you had to have an, a, an affiliation, didn't you? You'd, you? Your football team was Sunderland because you were born there, but you had to have an affiliation to someone. So, uh, you know, very sad. He's been probably more of an influence on how I've gone about my life than I perhaps realise. Come to Nick Damon in a second, but Tim's got a question for you, Joe. Well, uh, obviously... Uh, we're talking about uh, 76 and 77, 7071 his second title. Uh, and then he left Ferrari and for seven years uh, he went first to Brabham and then to McLaren. Uh, but it was seven years before he won another title. And uh, some of those years with McLaren, uh, he was pretty disappointing, wasn't he? I don't know, Tim. When he came back in 82, he won the British Grand Prix. Mm. Uh, I was there that day, and he won it in pretty convincing style. He was, I think... But then um, 83, a string of retirements. He failed to qualify at Monaco. He was uh, thrown out of the German Grand Prix. And then suddenly, 84, they've turned it around again. Uh, five race wins. 
three podium, th- oh sorry, four other podium finishes, and he wins a title. Yeah, but you can't. You're just looking at the stats there, and the stats don't really reflect what was actually going on. The reason why the John Watson, his teammate, didn't qualify at Monaco, also that had nothing to do with Nicky Lauda. That had everything. Is that a McLaren problem by any chance? It was a McLaren problem. That's a nice segue, isn't it? That that might um, become that might become a thread that runs through tonight. Uh, we might Moscow's. talk about that later. 83, 83 was the turbo year. That was when Brabham came in with their BMW turbo. Renault, you needed a turbo engine. The Cosworth engines were just outclassed. Then in comes Tag Porsche in 84, and Nicky Lauda did exactly the same job as he was doing in his, uh, as you say, Tim, doldrums. Um, but that was more down to the car than and circumstances than anything to do with Lauda's approach. Uh, Nick, Damon, um, in latter the, the uh, people of, at the other end of the Formula One spectrum will know Nicky Lauda as, you know, this... Uh, interesting character in the Formula One paddock who's always good for a quote, might not always be the best quote, but always good for a quote, never short of a sound bite. Uh, and he wasn't. And, and he, he, you know, he, he stayed in the Formula One. Um, uh, he stayed in the Formula One paddock and, and, he, and he provided some, dare I say it, he provided some much needed colour and personality. Yeah, I, th- I think it's, um, you know, obviously he was uh, very much evident in the the many years ago that I was wandering around there as well, running Jaguar for a couple of years in the 2000, 2001. Um, the thing I remember most of all about Nicky Lauda is apart from his fantastic presence was, was his propensity for dropping the S bomb. He was, uh, many uh, Germans are very, very fond of that. And, and I think because they know exactly where that word lands anyone who's trying to do an interview at the time in, uh, on a, 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 a U rated station. Um, but he was always, always, always with a twinkle in his eye. And I think you know, there's a couple of people, when I kind of meandered into the paddock as a, as a wide-eyed innocent, you know, there's a couple of people who I was very much in awe of. The first was Alan Prost, and, and the second was Nicky Loudon. It was, it, was, it was really great to get to know him and, and to talk to him. Mm. Um, this from the racing Bart Stewart. Um, another great character, slightly departed. I imagine Masses Louder and... Hunt will be having a drink or two somewhere, putting the world to rights. Yeah, they'll, they'll be having a race somewhere and knocking seven shades of the S-bomb out of each other. And Senna will not be far away from that uh, either. Uh, management at Ferrari, Jaguar and Mercedes. Uh, his own uh, airline, of course, taken off by uh, Austrian Air at some stage. And uh, by the way, can I just say, in something else that is very apposite of today, um, Nicky Loud of Fort Boeing, um, many of you might have forgotten this, or not known it, but there was a, a an air accident a few years ago with a Boeing 767, I think, that Boeing denied all knowledge of and tried to push the blame onto the Louder Air aircrew. And Nicky personally fought very, very hard um, to make sure that the truth came out from that and it wasn't swept under the carpet and it was a systems failure. Opposite, as I say, in, t- in today's... Uh, circumstances <laughs> uh, and I, I, I was reminded of that by something else I, I, I didn't remember that myself but then I, I went and looked it up and uh, he, was he was very very vocal he and was devastated by that he was devastated by that he went to the crash site himself mm. um, and he, he was a great advocate for safety in motorsport and he took that same attitude. And he, his attention to detail came through there sure. again. You know, absolutely. his meticulous attention to detail that he carried throughout his career from the very outset of his career. He applied that attitude in everything he did. 
and, and he took on the might of Boeing, which nobody did in those days. Yes. No, at different times now. Yes. But in those days, that was very, very unusual. He what made himself unpopular. Oh, I can't remember. I knew you could ask Mid-90s, me that. Mid-90s, I think, wasn't it? Uh, but he, he made himself very unpopular 91. from that. Thank 91, you, Nick. Yeah. 91. 1991, guys. 1991. Uh, nobody did that. Nobody took on the big corporations in those days. You just didn't do it. I th- you know what? I think it was because of his profile that you probably got to hear about it. Yes, that's a, that's a fair point. Uh, Tim, uh, any more from you on, on Nicky Lauder before we, we move on to the week's other sad news? I think uh, we've... Obviously, we could talk about Nicky Lauder we, all we night. We could do a whole programme. We need a programme of Nicky Lauder. Uh, we have stories. other things to talk about. And unfortunately, one of those is another death it's another death of death of a formula one driver it's another death of a formula one driver with the initials nl yes neville liddell who was uh, a south african driver Mm -hmm. just one formula one start uh, and uh, that was in his home race well joe and i were talking about this over a very fine uh, dinner prepared by the uh, responsible adult the South African Grand Prix in the, in the day was probably the event that got the most what we'd now called wild cards. There weren't wild cards in those days because if you had a card that was eligible and you could pay the fee and get into it, you were in. Uh, and and the South African Grand Prix was the one that that had them. It, it would seem have the the biggest spread of of talent or lack thereof. It was a similar sort of, in a similar vein to Australia. Yes. Um, and if there'd been an Australian Grand Prix, I think there probably would have been exactly the same thing, where you had a lot of locals who had a lot of um, second-hand Formula One cars that they were campaigning in local South African championships. And people like John Love, and Schechter. people, uh, the Schechters, mm-hmm. um, they, you know, you would have a, a six cars. It's like, if you can imagine the Grand Prix, you know, Formula One now, going to South Africa and having six entries with like a year or two old cars on the yeah. back of the grid. Yeah. Of course, it was in the Cosworth era where you could, you know, just bolt a Cosworth to the back of anything. Just one Grand Prix, uh, Tim, but uh, plenty of other motor racing uh, exploits. Yes, he did uh, a lot of endurance racing as well. Yes. Uh, again, nearly all in South Africa. Um he uh, actually broke his leg while uh, doing a nine-hour race in uh, South Africa one year, which uh, caused him to miss, which is why he didn't attempt to take part in the uh, Formula One race the same year. Uh, but um, Formula One, obviously, is what probably people outside of South Africa will know him for, for... Uh, his attempts to qualify and his one success in qualifying and actual start uh, in a World Championship Grand Prix, uh, which was a 1965 South African Grand Prix. Uh, uh, one of the things you mentioned about uh, the South African Grand Prix being known for having mm. all these, what we'd now call wildcard an- entries, um, of course it was always at the start of the year. Yes. I mean, it was always New Year's Day or the closest Sunday to New Year's yes. Day. Yeah, and, and that meant that cars from the previous year or a couple of years ago perhaps wasn't weren't as so uh, disadvantaged uh, as well. If in the spirit of of Nicky Lauder particularly, who always liked to have a joke at other people's expense uh, and had a, a a very interesting sense of humour in the paddock, 
Tim pointed out to me earlier on there have only ever been three uh, Grand Prix drivers with the initials N and L, and we've lost two of them this week. Uh, therefore, Nicola Larini must be a bit worried uh, round about now. Can't believe you said that. No, listen, you know, uh, Louder would have said that. Absolutely right. Louder would have said that. Absolutely right. I'm not sure right. Nicola Larini would say it, though. I'm not sure Nicola Larini would. The, yeah, Hopefully he isn't listening. There's a be that, this uh, is every week, apparently. There's been that joke about the croissant in the grass that's been doing the rounds on yes. social media. Um, just just Google Nicky Louder croissant in the grass. I'm sure you'll find it. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. Uh, I, I hope, hopefully, not uh, uh, too depressing a start for you tonight, but we couldn't go anywhere else with that. And uh, we decided to break from our usual uh, tradition at the top of the programme. But let's take a look at some of your tweets coming in. Hello to Kevin Poulton, who's uh, listening uh, on the podcast. He's in Korea, so eight hours ahead of us uh, at the moment. Uh, hello to Rob Wilshire, to Eust, uh, listening in tonight. Alexander Orkin um, uh, as well this evening. Eric Offerdell, uh, who uh, is making a point about the new Indy qualifying. He said, I didn't like when it was announced, but having seen it and lived it from turn one, it delivered exactly what was promised. We'll talk about that uh, later on. Of course, we will. Lots to uh, talk about on the Indianapolis front with the race uh, this weekend. Uh, Chris Suku just collecting my luggage from the carousel at uh, uh, London Heathrow, driving back to Leamington. Uh, that was 40 minutes ago. She should be listening in now. Uh, John Frank, Jonathan Frank saying flew all night just to say no FAs today. Now, if I can only get this Brazilian Wi-Fi to hook up, um, presumably not a euphemism there. Uh, Jonathan Phil. He on... definitely says Wi-Fi and not wife. Yeah, very good. Very good. Uh, no FA tonight. The role of honour, says Phil, at Le Mans will be longer again this week. Um, yes, well, it's going to be a tough one for a number of reasons this year at Le Mans. Hello to Rob Jainer, who's listening live this evening. Eleonora Lacanta uh, and uh, Yoda's uncle, Mike Sargent as well. EFAs from him, catching up on the podcast. Uh, excited to hear what you made of the bump day. Mark Harrison uh, is listening tonight. Uh, so is Ty Ring, who is uh, no airfares, listening from sunny Cornwall, hoping for similar weather in France. We'll do some more a bit later on. Just a quick uh, note from Simon Hoff. He says, uh, no airfares this week. First time uh, and finally caught up with all the racing. A chapeau to Nicky, RIP. I think there'll be a lot of people. Your thoughts about Nicky Lauder as well. What does he mean to you? Uh, are you the Joe Bradley generation who remembers him as a racer and possibly brought you into racing. Do you remember him as the uh, as the quotable Nicky Lauder from Formula <laughs> Nick One? Nick Damon remembers. That's exactly. Well, it, it's true. It's absolutely true. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. It's Series 14, Episode 20. Add Specutainment if you uh, want to get on to the show tonight. We will uh, keep an eye on that. Tim, where would you like to go next? Stop, oh yes, wait a minute, Mr. Postman. Wait, wait, wait. Do you remember I made that into a really good jingle? I can't find it now. <laughs> you did a nice edit on that, I, I seem did. to remember. I'm, I'm going to have to do it all over again now. Can we just say a quick hello to a, a, another guest this evening? Yes. And then it gives me the chance to... Uh, tell me to tell you that he's too loud. Yeah. I'm not sure about that. Uh, good evening, Johnny Palmer. Good evening, John. Good evening, everybody. Edge yourself a bit closer, because I can't give you much more... Uh, wires, cable uh, on that and let's see how that goes no okay let's let's leave that over the top of there how's that is that, yeah, that that's very comfortable for me yes and is the is the headphone level I, I, okay i'm not hearing myself but i'm not 
particularly concerned about that because I think everyone else is, so that's fine. Right, I can. Uh, no, hey, look, you know, we've got we've got that kind of thing to do here. Okay, marvelous. Now, oh, you that's better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. yeah very good. So, Thank you. so the letters. Uh, We've had a we've had a letter. We've had an influx of letters this week since the Scrabble Factory next to Tim's blew up uh, on Thursday. But um, uh, move on. Dear Midweek Motorsport. Oh, this really is a letter. Big fan of the show. Yeah. However, I was very disappointed in a story in last week's episode. Right. He's talking about uh, the episode on the fifteenth of May, which was uh, series fourteen, episode nineteen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When talking about the Holman family's uh, links with baking powder mm-hmm. and how the uh, proceeds from their baking powder empire was used to buy the derelict Indianapolis Motor Speedway, mm-hmm. you failed to make any jokes about rising. Oh, very good. That, that was, that was uh, an error on our part, wasn't it? I'd like to say it was deliberate. No, but it wasn't. It was just an oversight. It was, yes. Mm. We'll, we'll make sure we never... Who was that from? Uh, it's anonymous. All right. Uh, hello to Mark Harrison, who's travelling at 125 miles an hour from London to um, Pork Pie Central. He says, not in the aerial atom on a train. I should hope not. Does that mean he's in Melton Mowbray? Yes, very good. Very good. Just up there. It's the only place that it comes from. Uh, Fabian W is listening in tonight. The F-34 round Oxford means Simon Kerr will be on the podcast. Uh, and Huan Ji as well. Uh, where would you like to take us next tonight, Tim? I'd like please? to take you to the Indianapolis 500. Right. Because although that race is this weekend, yeah. in some respects, last weekend was as exciting as the races. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favourite uh, part of the whole Indianapolis process is bump day. Uh, And we'll come on to that a little later. Uh, But qualifying at uh, the Indy 500, like all good motor races, is spread across two days. Yes. Yeah? Yeah. uh, Will you agree with that? Uh, I don't think you need two days necessarily. And in fact, for Indianapolis this year, you didn't need two days. You needed 20 minutes after the rain and that was all. That That was the best drama. That was the best drama. The the Indianapolis qualifying is always spread out because they have to take into account the fact that they are liable to be rained on. Yes, exactly. And, and the one thing I will say about the Indy 500 qualifying this year is we covered a story a couple of three weeks ago about two of the greats in sport, in that sport, being Roger Penske and Chip Ganassi, both of whom I have a massive respect for, asking for automatic qualification into the Indy 500. And last weekend proved why they were entirely, completely, utterly and incontrovertibly incorrect. Because it was fantastic entertainment, top to bottom. Even even when we had to wait all day on Sunday for all the rain, it was still fantastic. We've had a Penske not qualify before. Wasn't it Capaldi? It was a fady... They both didn't qualify. Yeah, both Penske's didn't qualify. A year after they won it. That's That's right. right, yeah. That was dealt with an engine, wasn't it? Being so, 95. 95. They, 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 they won the previous year because they exploited the stock block rules. That was the Mercedes engine. 100 yeah. horsepower more than everyone else. And then everyone well caught, they caught a cold the following year. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, why, why did they think that? I, I, wa- I, I watched qualify. most of uh, 
I was on the air on Saturday, so I couldn't see most of what was going on. But I, I, I caught up with it um, once we'd finished. It was terrible scheduling, John. Oh, how can you schedule in-depth qualifying against Eurovision Song Contest? Well, that the rain, the rain helped. In fairness, the rain helped. Well, no, it was the Saturday qualifying that was up against. I, I was trying to watch them both. I had to watch things on delay. I found out about the weirdness of the Azerbaijan song by accident on Twitter. It's a nightmare. Oh, and some people didn't qualify as well. And, and by the way, those who had the over and under on uh, Nick mentioning Eurovision, uh, 28 minutes into the show. He is uh, a very, <laughs> he's our very strange one. We, st- we are going to do the show next year. We are going to do. You find the way around the copyright reasons, I'll be the elite. Well, I'll, I'll be there. Well, Tim Greer. We, we're our... just going to sit there and talk about what? it. We're not going to Tim, it's in Holland. it. It's in Holland. Can we not go? Come to Holland not? next Never summer. Yeah. I am going to Holland next summer. Well, there's a Grand Prix there. I think we should just have it. Uh, we should just tell Eurovision to have it on the Saturday at Zamfort in the paddock. <laughs> that would be that, great. I think it'll oh, be about two weeks amazing. later. But can can we not get the can we not get the internet rights to go and do the uh, the broadcast? I'm sure we could. We'd have to become a member of the uh, Euro- European Broadcasting Union first. I can't be that hard, can it? I mean, it's, it's not. Seems difficult to get out of anything European. It's not that difficult to get in. Uh, all you have to do is pay some money, apparently. It was ever thus. How much? Let's move on. Uh, so <laughs> Saturday at Indianapolis, yes. And uh, I want to start by talking about uh, a friend of uh, ours, mm-hmm. Mr. Simon Paginot. Yep. Uh, who, in uh, the post-qualifying press conference, uh, turned up late. And covered in cake. And this is uh, why. Ah, uh, yeah, it's... Well, I just got caked. I just wanted to say that. Joseph just you, you, cake, no, no. caked me for my caked. birthday, so... I, it's I my birthday today. I didn't do anything. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, nice. So I had to change. That's why we're late. I'm sorry. Um, well, what a day. You know, it's probably a, the most intense day in racing, really. Um, you know, you, you, you do your run, you wait, you see people struggling, then... You wonder how it's going to be at the end of the day with speed. So um, obviously, at the end of the day, usually speed comes back. But uh, I tell you what, today's um, for us at Team Penske is a testament to uh, the amazing job that the guys do. Uh, the preparation that goes into this race is uh, is incredible. Uh, obviously, number one priority is Indianapolis. Um, Roger is really excited about pole position day and also about the race. So number one goal is to win. Coming here and. They've done, uh, the team's done really a dr- great job just preparing the cars, making sure that all three, four cars are exactly the same. That was the biggest thing. And um, as you can see, all three of us are stacked with the same lap time. It's, uh, it's pretty amazing. Uh, so that was uh, Simon Paginot, and he will start from pole position. Yes, he will, because he nicked it away in the... Uh, in the uh, Dying fast moments. nine in the fast nine, yes, which we didn't think we were going to get. Uh, no. Th- the other thing I'd like to say about all of this is I thought the race direction was pretty good. Um, they prioritised the right thing. Uh, they had to get the last three cars on the last row of the grid. If fast finds fast on fast nine hadn't happened, then we would have had a different looking grid. But they found time to do that as well. Um, I-, I thought it was mega. The whole thing. I thought the whole thing was absolutely outstanding and quite clearly everybody's expecting us to talk a lot and and kick McLaren and Carlin and uh, I mean a, an extraordinary story about that but this Tim there's so many good news stories 
yes. out, out of that as well, including tears this time of joy for Pippa Mann. Let's hear from her, shall we? So I think the big thing for us is that the Clawson Marshall Racing Driven to Save Live Chevrolet has actually been pretty good all week long. Um, we felt we were going to slot in somewhere between 23rd and 26th-ish today, which happened. And then we kind of miscalculated how much better the track conditions were going to get at the end of the day. And by the time we realized how much better they were and how much quicker we'd have been able to run, there were too many cars in the line to pull our time to go. So I literally had to sit there sweating it out. And all that was going through my head was, not again. Please, not again. P- please, please, not again. Uh, but Pippa Man did qualify. She did. Uh, and she will start... Let me just double-check this. She will start Smart, 30th. She's in. She's in, she's so in the show. She was the last of the cars to qualify on Saturday, mm-hmm. uh, which left six cars going for bump day on Sunday. Yeah. Uh, they included uh, Pato Awards, Max Chilton, mm-hmm. Sage Carum, James yep. Hinchcliffe, uh, Kyle Kaiser, and Fernando Alonso. And... Hinch. Can we talk first about James Hinchcliffe? Yeah, I, I, no, I was going to say that because that team pulled off... Look, Hinch has not had, a, in recent times, a very healthy relationship with the Indianapolis 500. Um, and he's, he's lucky to be alive. Didn't qualify last year because of a misunderstanding the rules by uh, the team, Smith-Peterson Motorsport. However, the team pulled a blinder this year. Because he uh, had the accident, got out the car, the car was turned around in time for him to get some laps the same day. All right, they weren't quick enough, but then he went out and did what he needed to do, which was get in the big show. I, I thought he did a cracking job, and I thought the team did a cracking job as well. Uh, Pato Ward and uh, Max Chilton, both Carlin drivers, yep. uh, both struggled all through practice, yep. all through qualifying, yep. uh, and both failed to make it on bump day. Cars didn't ever... You watched it, Joe. Cars didn't look... Uh, th- th- uh, that was scary. You're talking about fractions of miles an hour here, aren't you? That really, really, you know, comes to pay. And Chilton and Award are not slouches. No, no. It's all about the car at Indy. And uh, Alonso approved that, didn't he? Well, uh, Marshall Pruitt posted uh and uh, best wishes to marshall and uh and mrs p as well uh mp safe home uh our thoughts with you and the missus of course uh at this time and marshall pro posted the uh, a picture of the full rundown and from top to bottom was uh, i don't think it was two and a half miles an hour so it came down to 1.3 percent from front to back, you can not, lo- not to qualify. You, you from front to back. to back, that's first to thirty-third. Unbelievable. You can you can lose that one percent by just turning Sneezing. the wheel a little bit more than you really need to, Correct. not letting the car breathe, and it's ha- so finite. How many times do you hear Nick Damon, racing teams, racing drivers? team chiefs talking about ah we've got a it's the incremental games it's all about the in, incremental gains it's all about the one percenters well it really was about the one percenters this weekend at indianapolis 
Yeah, it's the aggregation of marginal gains. It's uh, every single thing counts. Having the uh, grease-like water in the bearings, a particularly set-up and balanced gearbox, which is one of the things that Hinchcliffe lost when he had the accident. And obviously one of the key things is knowing what's millimetres and what's inches. That, that, that helps as well. Yes, that, that's another McLaren. That was another McLaren. I'm not thing. sure what that what that meant. I mean, don't get me wrong, I know what it means literally, but that McLaren team basically got everything, got the setup sheets, got borrowed dampers. You don't just, you know, you don't just, they borrowed dampers from Andretti, so you don't just get a, a damper handed to you. You get a damper that is the, where you need to be. They didn't get be. four Bill Stein shocks in a box. Yes, exactly. So there's, there's your dampers, <laughs> that's the setting, that's where you, you know, your bump and your rebound need to be, that's where you, 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 you your spring rates need to be. That's where your rake needs to be. That's where you ride it. They'll have gotten a full setup to go along with those dampers. So when they say dampers, they mean the whole package. So did he really mean that when they applied that setup sheet to the car, they measured it wrong? I mean, Joe, Joe, millimeters two inches. Joe, we really got that. Didn't wrong? have a steering wheel. We didn't have a metal ruler to. At one stage, know? they didn't have a steering wheel. The missed. That, that was in their uh, oval test in April at. Uh, Texas Motor Speedway, so uh, they didn't have a steering wheel, and they lost half of that day. Yes, and 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 it, there was a quote from the team. I can't remember what it was. Zach sure. Brown said, uh, oh, was "Zach, was it? We didn't get out until midday. Our steering wheel wasn't done on time. That's just lack of preparation and project management, organisational skills. That's where the whole thing fell down in the project management." Nine or one. Zach said, Brown should not be digging around for steering wheels. No, I don't I, think we were arrogant. I think we were unprepared. We yeah. didn't deserve to be in the race. It's our own fault. It's not like we showed up and gave our best. We defeated ourselves. They were might to be on the track at nine o'clock. At nine or one, when they weren't on the track in that test, that's where the Indy started going wrong. Bob Fernley's lost his job over it. He's been kicked out. He was there. Fair enough. Indy well, yeah. coordinator. Yeah. I don't think you can... The only thing out of all of this that McLaren, Zach Brown, uh, Gilles de Ferran, uh, Alonso, the only thing that they come out of this with any credit that this is that they decided that it wasn't the right thing to do to buy an entry. Uh, so I move on with the comedy of errors, because having lost half a day's to. testing by not having a steering wheel, uh, they then lost some further test uh, days because the car wasn't papaya orange. Well, it was orange. It wasn't the right shade of orange. So it wasn't papaya. It, there's no such thing as papaya orange. It's called McLaren orange. That's a, a massive, massive error by the people who talk about that. The it's called McLaren oranges. Anybody who worked at McLaren when they were first orange will tell you. When they had their car without the steering right, it wheel the at Texas, colour. Yes. Uh, it wasn't the right McLaren shade. complained about it being the wrong colour. Um and one of the reasons that they couldn't a repair... A month later, yes, it still was still problem. in the paint shop. Correct. They lost two test days because they didn't want to test in a car that was the wrong colour. And, and it was also one of the reasons that they didn't turn around the spare quick enough for, for Alonso after he crashed at Indianapolis because they still didn't have the car back in the right colour. Yes. And and that that was that actually was massively important. Forget the reason, the fact that they couldn't turn their second car around quick enough and he lost effectively a day and a half of testing that that was massive it, listen it was it was fred carno's army all they needed in the play in the background was the benny hill music but you know what it doesn't it doesn't necessarily make them bad races they didn't do it on purpose they 
Um, I've no doubt they'll be back. I still think they'll be back possibly before the end of the season with Alonso in a car. I still think there's a two-car team with potentially Kobayashi in the car for a whole season of IndyCar from McLaren next year. One of the things that Zach Brown does seem to be very good at is raising money for an IndyCar team. And I, I, I do think that it's not over. i tell you what, let's have a, a listen to Fred, to Fernando Alonso. Has been... Uh... Uh, very long qualifying, nearly 36 hours of qualifying uh, from, from yesterday morning. So, yeah, we were just one place all the time out. You know, yesterday 31st instead of 30, today 34th instead of 33 uh, by very small margin. And, uh, yeah, unfortunately not, not fast enough um, in any of the both days. So, yeah, uh, it's just too soon to, to make decisions. You know, you, I don't know even... What I will do after uh, next month, uh, Le Mans 24 hours, is finish my program on the on the World Endurance Championship, and uh, I'm I wanted to have the 2020 open um, uh, because I don't know exactly what uh, opportunities may come for me uh, for next year in terms of, of racing. So, you know, I, I don't know uh, until I don't know a, a program for next year, I cannot uh, promise or, or have any idea on my mind, but. Uh, uh, as always said, you know, uh, I will be more than happy, you know, to, to race here again in the future and, and uh, to win the, the Triple Crown, uh, which is still a target or, or different targets. You know, maybe I, I race different series uh, with different uh, challenges, maybe next year as well, completely out of my comfort zone again. And uh, maybe, you know, um, this type of challenge, they can bring you a lot of success and you can be part of the history of the the sport or can be really disappointed and um, you know today is one of those but uh, I prefer to be here than to be uh, like millions and millions of uh, other people you know at home watching TV you know I prefer to to try I like that better to try and fail than to not have tried I think that's it Again, that's a bit of a Nicky Lauda kind of... Uh, what was that great Nicky Lauda? People people say uh, Formula One is unnecessarily risky. You take unnecessary risks driving in Formula One. Nicky Lauda said, yeah, just think how boring life would be if you only did things that were necessary. I like Alonso's attitude towards that. And uh, he's, he's not finished. He's still going to try. I still think he'll win the Triple Crown at some stage. And I think that's an extraordinary achievement mm-hmm. in this day and age. What about uh, Penske? If, yeah. I, I, Do Penske have a gap for him? Well, they could make, make a one. gap. They could make one. Look how well he did two years ago with Andretti. He nearly won it. Yeah, there's the the Honda thing. He needs to be with a Chevy team, doesn't he? Yes, that's that's the thing. Well, only as long as he's racing for Toyota in uh, the WEC and at Le Mans. No, he he raced raced, uh, for for Honda whilst he was with Toyota, when he'd signed for Toyota. It was the whole McLaren-Honda falling out that stopped him having the Honda. No, he didn't. He, he wasn't with Toyota when he was uh, there two years ago, was he? Yeah, but he'd already committed to it. Yeah, but not it, that wasn't announced, written, and, oh, right, okay. and, yeah, and in true. any form of of marketing disaster. I, 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 I don't think I don't think McLaren comes out of this very well. I, I, I find it hard to criticise them. They were they really? were close. <laughs> I, I, no, I, I don't think McLaren comes out of this very well. I think Carlin comes out of it even. 
less well. But that said, McLaren chose Carlin to run the car and not Andretti as they did last year, which is why Bob Fernley's lost his job. And and I I, I, I don't want to kick people none, when they're none down. Of, none of Carlin's cars qualified. There's something there. Three out of four didn't qualify. Yeah. Charlie yeah. Kimball did. He Charlie was 20th. Kimball. Charlie Kimball did. Yeah, he, he qualified quite well. Um, let, let's leave the last word to McLaren uh, Sporting Director or is he director of racing? I can't remember what Gilles Deferrin's title is. Uh, here's what he had to say. Well, um, you know, I, uh, this has been a, a very um, emotional and, uh, and, and difficult experience, I think, uh, not only for me, uh, but, uh, but for the whole team, you know. And uh, I think I, I want to take this, this opportunity um, to you know, apologize and uh, and and thank the the fans, you know, not only here in the in the U.S. but uh, but globally, who uh, you know have been following our our progress and uh, I read a, a lot of nice uh, uh, things and uh, some great messages um, all over the place. So um, thank you and, and and I'm sorry we won't be in the in the Indy 500. Um, I wanna. Uh, also, um, I think uh, apologize and uh, and thank our team. You know the the guys. Uh, you know, been working for for several months, and uh, particularly this this last month or so, have been a, a tremendous uh, effort um, into trying to come here and 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 do the best we can. And uh, they worked uh, all hours. Uh, in the day, and uh, and I guess that was uh, one of the the main messages I had for for the whole crew. Uh, there, you know, this is a a very difficult uh, sport. We um, certainly uh, uh, didn't uh, underestimate the challenge. You know, we knew this was going to be a, a, a tremendously uh, hard uh, challenge. You know. Uh, I, as you said, I've been here before. I've seen uh, uh, some incredible people uh, not not make uh, not make the race. So we were certainly very aware of uh, how difficult this uh, this was uh, was going to be. Shelter uh, Farron and Huanji has tweeted uh, at Speculative. He says, "What McLaren really needs is a partnership with an established IndyCar team. We mean like they did before with." Andretti, and just to put a badge on the car and otherwise not touches. There's nothing that they can do that an IndyCar regular team can't do better. It's Carlin that ran the car, of course, uh, this time for them, and as we've said, possibly didn't do quite well. Uh, the Nicky Lauder comments coming through. Stu G says, great story from the end of 76. James Hunt, uh, via a telephone, badgered the venerable uh, journalist, F1 journalist Alan Henry, into revealing who was the autocourse number one driver that, that year. After much persuading, Alan admitted it was louder. After a pause, Hunt said simply, I entirely agree. Different times, Class. certainly. Class stuff. Stephen Gates, Nicky's on-track achievements were legendary, but for me, more than his racing exploits, it was the way he took on Boeing in the aftermath of the louder air crash that sets him apart. He wouldn't rest until the families of those got justice, those killed got justice. Yeah, we talked about that earlier on, Stephen. Uh, entirely uh, agree with that. Chris Ring says, I watched my first race at Brands Hatch in 84. I was doing the catering in the VIP tent, seeing Nicky and uh, others 
other greats that weekend started my love for motorsport. Uh, Nicky Lauda, for me, was the omniscient man of Formula One. Since I watched Formula One on TV, he was the presenter, having an answer to all he was asked. Motorsport has lost one of the greatest, says Fabian. Uh, yes, of course, because he, he was, Nick, as well, part of the Formula One broadcast team for uh, a, a long time, wasn't he? Yes, indeed. Sorry, Nick, I thought we'd lost you there for a moment. Sorry, I, I'm on a delay. <laughs> clearly, clearly. Uh, an immense legacy that he has left behind. Thoughts with Matthias and his family, says Sarah Rigby. Can't disagree with that either. Had a, I've had many long chats with Matthias Lauder about... Uh, his dad, about how his dad's relationship with his father, Nicky's relationship with his father, uh, affected Nicky's relationship with Matthias, particularly when it came down uh, to racing. Uh, keep those coming in. Might not be able to fit them all uh, in tonight. Uh, Dave Alcott, I wouldn't have expected to for you to open the show of any other way, given the gravitas of events this week. Uh, you've done the memory of Nicky Lauder proud. We won't see his kind of courage again. Uh, in a, a long time. Uh, frankly, Dave, I don't disagree with that, but I'll, I'll say anybody that gets into a racing car at that level uh, has to have uh, quite a bit of courage. Although, nowadays, of course, Joe, it is perceived that the risks aren't as great as in Lauders when he was in his pomp. I'm not sure that's true. Well, the, well quite frankly, they're not. The, the cars are a lot safer, the circuits are a lot safer. In the 70s, we were losing... You know, one or two drivers a year, sometimes three. So the sport is a lot safer. However, try doing almost 200 miles an hour with your backside two inches from the ground. See how you feel. Yeah. Because there's still an element of courage and skill. No doubt about it. Here's just another adjunct to that Boeing uh, story that Daniel M says. Uh, Boeing kept suggesting the crash would have been preventable by the pilots. So Nicky Lauder said he would take a 767 up and cause the same issue. Unsurprisingly, that's when Boeing backed down. And as you said, Joe, possibly only someone with his profile could have done that. Uh, a great driver, someone who put the safety of drivers and fans uh, often above his careers. I wonder how many drivers were safe for serious injury or death due to measures I, that he and Sir Jackie Stewart in, instigated. I, you know what? I remember the, that week's autosport leading up to the German Grand Prix in 76. There was a, was probably a Nigel Roebuck fifth column and it was all Nicky Lauder and his opinion of the Nürburgring being outdated and how they shouldn't run the Grand Prix there because it was uh, unsafe. The marshal posts were too far away. There was no runoff, etc., etc. And it was as if he like, I know this is, you know, crazy to say but it was as if he'd like gone out to prove his point i know he didn't um but he was right everything he said about the nurburgring proved to be the point you know the there was no safety team was able to get to him because of the point that he'd raised it was bizarre yeah. how he'd how he that week's autosport that column that was all nicky lauder's opinion on the safety aspect of the nurburgring and that then that happened to him on the sunday uh last word uh, for this moment but we'll take more on aspect entertainment of course we will uh, this is from James B. He says, I was named after a certain Mr. Hunt. So when I was growing up, Nicky was always the baddie. As I got older, I understood his legacy. Legend isn't a strong enough word for him. Thanks for that, James. Uh, it's in the midweek motorsport. Let's move on to two wheels now. Nick Damon is still with us. It was Le Mans at the weekend, which always it throws was. up a bit of a funny one. And it did again. If Well, not really. Well, it did. Inc- I mean, we, we had somebody crashing qualifying and still being Qualifying, poor. possibly. Yeah. Yes, well, that's Marcus. He's fallen off after taking position on a number of occasions. I thought the crash on the... 
the warm-up lap was impressive. Yes, it was. With uh, Jan Mir and uh, Carol Abraham. But they didn't crash. They both fell off literally at the same place, two seconds apart. So the second person who fell off hit the first person, even though they were, both of them were no longer on the bike at that point. Uh, that was at what everybody was calling turn three this weekend, which apparently they're not allowed to call the Dunlop Shakin. Which I thought was was in, inspired Michelin and Bridgestone, isn't it? Despite the bridge being still having Dunlop in twenty-foot letters on it, which I, I thought are they allowed to call the Dunlop uh, chicane for the Moto Two and Moto Three races, which have Dunlop tyres? No, they they called still them, not. They, they were mostly calling them by numbers, um, uh, other than um, Museum uh, Garage Bleu and Garage Vert. Shimano Birth, they were calling sometimes by their names. It, it depended on which broadcast you were listening to, uh, as well. And um, what was the last? What's the last corner called in front of our box? Comes this track comes right Sports through the TV. No, no, the, the one that leads onto that, the double right, is called. Oh man, where are all the hospitality units are? On it's the Bugatti Circus. Yeah, end of the Bugatti Circus. Is it called Prawn Sandwich Central? Yes, that's exactly what it's called. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, I thought also, uh, honourable mention for Rossi for reading the weather right and getting on wets at the right time and slicks at the right time. Uh, the race itself, Nick Damon? Uh, Mark Marquez won. <laughs> but, but, for two whole laps, someone else was in the lead. And that was Jack Miller. And uh, he admitted himself he got overexcited and shouldn't have got in the league because it, 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 it uh, didn't help his bike's longevity over the race distance. He was overtaken by two more Ducatis, Davizioso and Petruzzi, the two works. Ducatis had a bit of a scrappy battle, which just enabled Marquez to get even further ahead. And Valentino Rossi trundled round, literally, uh, in fifth place. I think he was fourth for a bit, then fifth, uh, effectively outperforming the Yamaha, which is looking like a very, very sorry piece of mechanical uh, architecture these days, and no, not even close to being a match for Honda or Ducati. Mega uh, crowd. Mega crowd yeah. there, Nick. Um, Fabian Quattararo, who is uh, you know, still only in his you, fifth motor GP, of you course. You are willing to do something of interest. But... Oh, I love him. I love his riding style. I mean, he, he didn't have a good qualifying, but he was the quickest man on the track. He made up a load of positions near the end. He's clearly caught people's imagination. Now, we've been talking for a very long time about somebody who can replace the legacy of Valentino Rossi. I'm beginning to think it might be Quattararo. It's certainly not going to be Maverick Vinales. No, he's been disappointed. That wasn't his fault, though, this week. He got punted off. It's never his fault. No, this week it wasn't his fault because he got punted off because uh, he was trying to overtake one of the KTM. The KTM effectively closed the door. He had a check back quickly and then the person behind him whose name completely escapes me punted him off though he did say actually oddly you say it's never his fault he actually did say it was his fault because he shouldn't have qualified where he did so Vinales mm. has got that kind of now that kind of old mere culpa situation which makes me think he is on a long mental spiral that only leads to the world of Jorge Lorenzo I, I did enjoy watching uh, the Mortor uh, GP at Le Mans because at any point you felt like any of the riders could have fallen off and I don't like well, to see people falling off, but it, it, it you'd like them you. to look as if they might. Yeah, it's pretty. Sa- it's pretty safe actually. There's a lot of. There's a lot of runoff there. There's a lot of gravel. Um, yeah, but you know what I mean. There was always that sense of uncertainty. Nobody looked comfortable. Is what I'm trying to say. Nobody looked comfortable on the bikes. The track was never, never completely dry. Oddly, even though it hadn't rained, that makes sense. Also, there's a number of very unpleasant off-camber bits which don't affect the uh, the cars at all. But obviously. 
massively affect the the bikes. But by off camber, I mean that within the within the, the, the say the 10 meters width of the track, there's a bit that's off camber and it's back on camera again. It's effectively it looks very much like they originally laid the tarmac with the same people who did uh, that bit of tarmac outside the uh, the Northampton Football Club we talked about a few weeks ago. Uh, and by the way, that they they thank you, Nick Holland. They the corner name that dropped out of my brain was Raccordemont. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll do some Formula One in a second. Let's have some well, more tweets. I want to take with some bikes first. Uh, uh, um, do you want to talk about Polis Bagaro, Nick? On the no, KTM. I don't. You KTM. don't? Okay. No, I, he did all right. I, 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 I was going to say that it, no, I want to say one thing because we are after Mugello next Italian Grand Prix and already uh, Rossi's saying they haven't got enough power to win. When's yes. that, Nick? Is that next so week or the week after? The power. Is that next week or the two week weeks. after? So, two weeks. Okay, week well, I'm in the States. Okay. Uh, you did mention Jack Miller, though. Uh, uh, yes. And how did he celebrate his uh, MotoGP leading? Do you know? I have no idea. Tell me how he celebrated it. He went to Spain and uh, tested a world superbike. Did he? Yes, That's the Ducati Panigale V4R. Smart boy. That's a good bike. Mm-hmm. That's a good bike. It, it's a championship-leading bike, isn't it? Yes. Coming back. Mm, that's so. very interesting. All right, let, let's I wonder do what some... that's, uh, One more thing before on. we uh, leave two wheels. Uh, the Northwest 200 uh, happened at the weekend as well. BBC was streaming it around the world. No blocks. It was fantastic coverage, if you saw any of it. And it was won by, or the superbike class at least, was won by Glenn Irwin from the uh, British Superbike Championship. That is entirely bonkers, by the way. Declan Brennan rightly posted some, um, or reposted some helicopter shots. He said, the slipstreaming battles of Formula One back in the... were never on camera, but it might have looked something like this. At one stage, we had four bikes across the track at 200 miles an hour battling for the lead. So think, if you don't know what the Northwest 200 is, think of the TT where they go off one at a time, but they don't. They go off 24 at a time and they are actually racing on a public road at nearly 200 miles an hour. The Superbike race was extraordinary. I recommend that it is worth going to see, even though we've just spoiled who's won. It doesn't matter. Just watch it. And if you have ever ridden a motorbike, ever ridden a motorbike, never mind whether it's 49ccs or or two litres. You'll probably never ride one again. I, I defy you not to watch that with your heart in your mouth all of the time. They just lack imagination, those boys. <laughs> it's extraordinary. Absolutely. I can explain it. Uh, we were talking <laughs> the other week about Andrea De Vizioso uh, yep. getting some extra wheels. Uh, uh, is it next weekend or the weekend after? Uh, he's doing the, he's doing the, the DTM, DTM yeah. race at... Uh, um, yeah. Mizano. Correct. Um, uh, there have been a lot of rumours circulating that he may not be the only two-wheeled star to be there. Oh. Right. Uh, oh, hello. Gerhard Berger is trying very hard to attract a uh, guest entry to the DTM uh, for one Valentino Rossi. Uh, he's, he's got form though, Nick, hasn't he? What's it? But bums on. He's won the Monza Rally about 114 times, which is a, a single day sort of special stage, sort of almost a glorified sprint. He did test for Ferrari way back in something like six or seven, um, and he's he done quite a bit of a. He was always thinking he, he might end up going to four wheels, but I think obviously at 40 now it's unlikely. He'll he did, he did test a DTM car for Mercedes many many years ago, uh, mid 2000s. Did he? Yeah. Um, however. 
Uh, I'm told that there is a clause in Rossi's contract that prevents him from racing for any of Audi, BMW or Aston oh, Martin. Really? Uh, and it's because of the Monza Rally that you mentioned. Well, he races for who? Who does he race for? Is he still... I mean, he's on Yamaha, he's on a Yamaha now. So is Yamaha's that, got a big title. Fiat. Fiat. Yeah, so that's part of FCA. As I was going to say, they've got a technology agreement with FCA. But that, but that, but that sponsored, that sponsored dropped now. And it's now the monster Yamaha. It's not the as it was the Fiat Yamaha. But no. I'm not sure whether those those uh, links still carry on. Uh, Realistically, if he turned around to Yamaha and said, I want to, I want to uh, drive, do a driving car and I'm going to do it, they're, going, they're hardly going to say no in the situation at the moment, are they? No. There are no Italians in the DTM field, so a race in Italy uh, would be boosted a lot by uh, having, uh, even if he just turns up and does some demo laps. No. Um, we've uh, got plenty to come in the second half of the programme. I'll tell you about that in a moment. Let's do some more tweets uh, for a moment. Uh, Rob Chalmers says... Uh, Re Nicky Lauda. I've still got my fingers crossed that we'll see Lauda back in a Ferrari at Monza in five and a half weeks' time. <laughs> he has got form. He will be missed. I, I like that. I like your optimism, but I think not. It's uh, 20 to 1 on there. He'll survive the crematorium as well. Well, are they very good? <laughs> That's another joke that he would make as well. Absolutely. Fabian W says uh, on McLaren and Indy, there are other teams at Indy with. Uh, less budget and the same level of experience of McLaren. They don't have a partner running the car. If they prepared themselves well, they could have qualified. Mm. Uh, Look at Junkos. Yeah. Who, yeah. who, by the way, good news, they do now have a sponsor. Oh, do they? Yes. It's been announced uh, this afternoon. Well, that was an ex- that was another extraordinary good uh, uh, news story. Uh, right turn, love a square in the circle on the, the Boeing thing. Nicky wasn't allowed to fly, or didn't fly the plane, but he did go into a simulator and proved the issue there. Changed the philosophy of safety on two engine planes. In-flight deployment of thrust reversers were considered a nuisance more than, more than an, an actual problem back in the day. So he may well, if you've ever flown on a two-engine jet, you might well have had your life saved by Nicky Lauder, because he did do that. Hmm. Uh, Thanks to the contributors for Nicky Lauder and the Boeing story. Woefully missed in most outlets. Uh, Jules, thank you uh, for that. Simon Hoff saying, uh, racing back on Oliver's Mount this year, uh, closer to home, England's TT. Yes, we covered that story a couple of weeks ago. And, um, actually, we've been trying to get someone to come and talk about that and we'll continue to try and do that. Alan Prosser has retweeted the link to the Northwest tw- uh, 500 200, sorry. Uh, and I have just retweeted that on at Northwest 500, that would be... Uh, That's what Nick and I are going to do. Yeah, that would be more scary. That's what Nick and I are going to do. You're listening to Midweek Motorsports. Uh, this is uh, Series 14, Episode 20. We've got a cast of thousands tonight, but that's the end of the first hour. I've locked Mark in the shed, so I get to say, still to come on Midweek Motorsport. Uh, coming up in hour two tonight, we're going to try and get in touch with Shea Adam, who's between flights at the moment for a bit of a mer- more American news. Uh, obviously, we've covered the indie stuff. Uh, we've got Johnny Palmer here and Joe Bradley. They'll be talking about Creventic and the uh, Czech 12 hours, the Brunel 12 hours for the Hankook 24 hours series. Uh, we've got Sam Smith back on the line. Heard him talking about Nicky Lauda earlier on. Sam's back. We're going to talk to him with his e-racing 365 hat on uh, as we talk about Formula E and the changes going on 
uh, in the paddock. But next, we'll have a bit more of Nick Damon. You can't get enough of him, you know. It's Formula One next in Hour 2 of Midweek Motorsport Series 14, Episode 20. Motorsport on RS1. You know, I'd completely forgotten about Formula One and I was going to say goodbye to Nick at that point. No, you see, that's fine. That's fine. We've got a lot to get in tonight. Nick, we're in Monte Carlo uh, at the Aha. weekend. Hooray! So, so, no, hang on. No, let's do it properly. Let's do it properly. So we move on now to Formula One and here's our Formula One correspondent, Nick Damon. Hooray! Formula One at the greatest qualifying show on earth. Yes, that is true. We've been talking all night about Indianapolis and their great qualifying. It's actually far more important at Monaco, at Monte Carlo than uh, Monaco, uh, uh, than anywhere else uh, on the calendar. A bit of an an odd one, of course. It would never get its track license now, or would it? I think it probably would. Maybe not for Formula One, but it would certainly Mm. get a license for something. Uh, So, Nick. Formula Three. Are you going to. Only RCs. Um, are you going to tell me that someone other than Mercedes Benz are going to win this weekend? No. No. Okay. I mean, I'd, I'd love to. I'd, I'd love to play the contrarianism, but um, all the I know the perceived wisdom has been off a little bit. Uh, but obviously, as the season goes on, the analysis of what's actually happening gets better. And there is a very direct correlation between the speed of the cars in the final sector of the Barcelona track and the speed of the cars around Monte Carlo. Because Barcelona, the final sector with that um, recently, what, seven or eight years ago, in you know, little chicane, it's very nagy. And historically, over the last couple of years, uh, Red Bull have been the fastest in that sector three. Yeah. And they've gone on to um, dominate uh the race in Monte Carlo. Uh, Unfortunately, um, this year, Mercedes were six tenths of a second faster in that sector three, over 25 seconds than they've been the previous year, and all the other teams were a couple tenths slower. So there's been a massive turnaround. It does appear that uh, um, Mercedes have have, have managed to solve their their low-speed traction issues, or perhaps just have the tyres working better. So unless someone has a magical switchy turn-on tyre situation, which is possible... Uh, I think we're going to be seeing the Silver Arrows reliability and not smacking the barriers um, permitting are going to be the ones who are going to uh, disappear in the distance. Um, you know, but they will have to get it right uh, in on Saturday. And as we saw last year, uh, when Red Bull were the fastest cars by country mile, if you stuff the thing in the Armco uh, on Saturday and you can't rebuild it in time, as happened to Max Verstappen, you end up at the back regardless how good your car is. Who is celebrating his 300th Grand Prix this weekend? It's my favourite racing... No, it's not. It's Kimi Raikkonen. And what's his views on that? Do I get a bigger ice cream? I think that's more talkative than uh, I was expecting. I'm very excited. uh, I'm very uh, excited. His reaction. Hey, hang on. He actually said... uh, it's no different from last week or next week. In the end, it's just a number. For sure, it's different from the first race. But after that, once you go on for a while, it doesn't really change. Listen, uh, can, you, can you imagine being his son coming back with your, your school report and you're really chuffed? He goes, oh, it's an A or a B. It doesn't really matter. It's just a letter. But, but Nick, up until the last race, he was one of only... In fact, he was the only driver out of the top two teams who'd scored points in every... Uh, race, uh, I think he's having a good year this year. I, I'm still a fan of his. I know that a lot of people aren't, but 
I think it's just me, actually, it appears, who isn't a fan of his. <laughs> I, I, I appear to be left on my own thinking, oh, God. But, um, no, he's done, driving-wise, he's, done, he's, he's done, done a good job. I think that mainly because Giovinazzi isn't, isn't anything like as good as people think. Um, so he's, you know, he's not really performing, or perhaps performing as you would expect, and therefore Raikkonen is able to look particularly good and in a low-pressure situation where he just drives around and... and, and Uses latent skill to get himself into a ninth, it's or eighth, it's uh, quite a nice little gig, isn't it? Really, he's yeah. only the fifth driver to uh, do 300 Formula One Grand Prix. Can you name the other to four? To do them, to, to do, do them, to do them, mate, do, do them, it, do yeah. one, do Rubens one. Bar- Rubens Barrichello, obviously. Yes. Uh, Michael, I assume. Yes, uh, ooh, who else? Uh, Michael's Jensen. on 306, Rubens on 323. Uh, Jensen Button, yes, and who else do I have? One to more, find? John Alessi. Mm-hmm. No. Is it, is it something I'm going to keep myself for forgetting? Someone we've already mentioned today. Nicola really? Larini. Oh, Alonso. Fernando Alonso, of course. 311 race starts for Fernando. Uh, who is looking forward to being at home this weekend? All of them, because they all live there. All of them live there. Charles Leclerc. 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 <laughs> Leclerc is actually Monegasque. Yes. So he actually does live there. Name uh, me, name me other Monegasque. Olivier Beretta. Very good. Um, Daniel Eleanor. Uh, there was World Championship um, core driver. Who was the guy in GP2? I should know this. Should do. That's your oh, job. Come on, Nick. Uh, Tim, I'm sorry. There was a guy in GP2 15 years ago, or 13 years ago, mm. uh, who was Monegasque. Uh, he wasn't very good, I must say. Monaco this weekend. Uh, sorry, hang on a second. Uh, Johnny says. I, I thought it was time for a few more words from me. Stefan Ortelli? Uh, no, he was, I think he was from the south of France. I don't think he was actually Monegasque born. Okay. But I, unless you somebody will. Uh, somebody will. There'll be a, a number of people screaming at the radio right now yes. and furiously tweeting. Indeed. I'd expect you to. We'll get a reaction. Nico Rosberg was technically from Monaco, wasn't he? Cause he, he was, was born, born in Germany, though. Well, yeah, but he lived in Monaco and yeah, schooled but, in Monaco. And yes, but he, he he wasn't born. Clivio Piccioni was a guy. Clivio Piccioni, of. good call, good call. Uh, anything more that we should yeah. be looking at the weekend, other than the fantastic Woodhouse being floated in on a barge for the, well, yes, red, the new Red Bull thing, Energy Station? One thing to remember is that I, 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 I'm this is a public service announcement. So remember that practice starts tomorrow on thursday oh good point and there's no formula one on friday but there is a formula two race and then it's uh, more and then qualifying and the other formula two race are on saturday and then sunday is just f1 i don't know there is is, is f3 supporting or is it they got renault well, obviously again, like, f3 so. traditionally always supports uh the monaco grand prix however f3 doesn't exist anymore and it's been replaced by uh, F3, something not called F3. F3, which isn't F3, yes. and which used to be GP3, and right. that's going to be there, I think. F3, not F3. This Porsche is Super like Cup, that's going to be there. Is it? Yeah. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's always there. I, I would, uh, I would far rather have Peugeot 505 STIs or GTIs. They were good fun round there. There's a couple of Renault Euro Cup races as well, which isn't yeah, F3, they, they, and never, they they never been F3. Yeah. Never was yeah. F3. Indeed. Never will yeah, be. Indeed. Uh, all right, I think we can probably let Nick go now. I think so. Nick, thank you very much indeed. Uh, yeah, see, see, you t- see you tomorrow for me baking butty. Yes, no problem. Uh, do you like sauce on it, sir? Red. Right, okay. Uh, as Danny Baker hasn't got a job anymore, I suppose I can do that one. Um, and you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. 
uh, Series 14, episode too soon, perhaps, for that. Uh, Joe Bradley and uh, Johnny Palmer uh, are with me, John Hindoff. Nick Damon will be joining uh, us uh, over the weekend, along with Paul Truswell and Bruno. And this is another new circuit. This is my second new circuit this year, uh, Mugello and Bruno. And we are there, gentlemen, for the uh, next round of the Creventic European Championship as well, of course, for the Hankook 24-hour series. What are we going to see? Well, if it's half as good as Spa... No, Spa was very good. We will have a, 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 a blinder. I mean, Spa came down to the last fuel stops. Mm. A mistake in the fuel stop. A, mis- a kind of mistake in the fuel stop on the Herbert Porsche car. Yeah. He went to the car with the filler, which, remember, is just a standard service Pistol station grip. filler, yeah. like you use to refuel your car. He put it in, and then he realised he hadn't flicked the handle down on the actual... <gasps> is that what it was? I, I believe the so. The dead man's handle yeah. has couldn't get it, down. Couldn't get it, that confirmed with a comment, but the, vi- the, the 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 TV showed that quite clearly. All the usual uh, all the usual uh, uh, drivers and cars expected there. Of course, we've got Scuderia Praha there with their um, machine. This is their home ground. This is, is the one they really want to win. Yeah, but it, it, just before we get to those guys, it's great to have Olimp back, who yes. I don't think have raced since 2017. I saw that in uh, an Audi. Marcin Jedlenski has raced the odd Dubai 24 before, but the other two guys, Mateusz Lisowski and Karol Bars, never done any Creventit racing before. They've done Super Trofeo Lamborghinis. I think they're the ones done Porsches. But this is their br- you know, this is their introduction to a brand new championship in a new spec Audi R8. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how they get on. Yeah, that is a 2019 it, car. Yeah, it, good point. It's just a shame that there's, there's only two cars in A6 Pro so far. I mean, it's it's not unknown to see cars switch between AM and Pro through the uh, through the course of the weekend, well, into the race anyway, so through uh, sessions leading up uh, to the race. Who are MDC Sports then? The Swiss uh, Swiss drivers of the German team. This the, is the Zumstein and Zumstein family Correct. outing. Correct. It's a father and two sons. I can never remember which way round they are, but... Uh, MDC, I don't know what the MDC stands for, but we have seen the Zumsteins before of Switzerland, and I'm sure that Mercedes before as well, uh, car number four. Um, but that's one of seven A6M entries. So we've got a couple of car collection Audis. We've got two Mercedes at least. We've got now two Herbert, Herbert. Motorsport Porsches. Yeah. Uh, but, but interestingly... The Herbert cars entered in Am. No, Al- uh, no Alfred Renauer, just Robert, who is ah. generally the quickest of the two twin brothers, Ralph Bone and Daniel Alleman. So I think that brings them down to the Am category, and uh, yeah. they'll be a real favourite. Again, so relatively new. Na- I mean, um, Edward oh, Lewis Brown, we've seen before. Correct. And Stefan Oust, we've seen before. Who goes by another name? And yes. We discovered that during uh, the Mugello weekend. Stefan Oust, Jelko Dermich has raced with o- Olimp in the past. Uh, but yes, Dermich pretty experienced too. So that's two Germans and an Austrian. Uh, Joe, it's the split format again. So part of the race on Friday. So it's it's effectively a two-day meeting. Uh, we've got practice qualifying and part of the race on Friday, which we'll have all live for you uh, in sound. And I think from qualifying onwards, it's all in sound and vision as well. Yeah. The second yes, part of the race. Qualifying first uh, two parts of the race. Very civilised way of going racing, isn't it? Over 12 hours. Let's have... Is this one uh, four hours and then eight? Four it's, and eight. It's yeah. three. Three, three, three and, and nine. nine. Right. right. 
Three nine. Very yeah. civilised though. So four in the afternoon local time, through till seven, and then ten till seven the following day. It adds a little bit of different Just tactics. Nice time to, things, for us to go to dinner then. Perfect, really, <laughs> yes. isn't it? Yeah. I mean, dinner I like served, that. I think, from seven fifteen. So right. yeah, lovely. And of course, no. You've check. looked at this. See, I love the fact that Johnny. Uh, never mind anything else. He's checked the catering calendar. Well, that's <laughs> the first port schedule. of call, and then I may possibly check the race schedule after that. That seems reasonable. To see what? how the two mesh. Now listen, I, I've done. I've clocked up many, many laps in the virtual world around. And I'm not sure that virtually or on television it can do that place justice. I've watched many laps of bike racing and all sorts of stuff around there. Am I in for the kind yeah. of excitement that I'm hoping for just looking at the track? Yes, this is the sort of place that you love. You will love, Hindoff. It's a, it's an old-style circuit with the t- turn one, for instance. Oh, my goodness. You'd never get away with designing a circuit with turn one. It tightens, doesn't it? It's a lot it's just so fast and sweeping and then it goes over a brow it, and, and there's then, trees on driver's left and this you know what we're not what you're not going to experience the darkness of bruno oh. uh at this one but when we had a 24-hour race there remember i don't think i've ever seen dark as dark as dark can be was it it's, darker than a dark thing on a dark night with no lights on? We don't have to worry about that. It was darker than a dark thing. Right. Um, you're not going to worry about that. The undulation, the the the, uh, the the change in the gradients, the the change in elevation, fabulous. It's an old-style circuit through the woods and the countryside of the Czech Republic. I know there's plenty of classes, Johnny, but will it be another drag out scrap with Herbert and Scuderia Praha, somebody else could somebody else get in there. I honestly think Olymp could put a fly fly in the ointment as far as the championship regulars are concerned. It remains to be seen how long they're going to, uh, how many rounds they're planning to do. They're a Polish squad, and uh, therefore it's not exactly local, but it's uh, more local for them. Um, but no, you're looking at you're certainly looking at the championship regulars. We've had two Ferrari victories already out of two European rounds highly likely it might be a hat trick particularly because i think the last time we were there at the back end of 16 they were winners although that was a strange old race because that was the one which was logged with the fia as a 12-hour race therefore points had to be given they carried on another 24 hours but sadly over half the field parked it after went, 12, to bed. went to bed because yeah, well, we've got our points uh, uh, goodbye foggage beagle team monshow um we'll talk about the nurburgring quality uh later on in the show um but you know, we've seen those guys uh, do very well at the Nürburgring. They've thrown their hat in the Kreventnik, the the Hankook 24-hour ring this year. It, it It is a very accomplished and practiced squad. But the, the drivers, Joe, um, are they... I, I don't want to say up to snuff, but it's it's more of a commercial operation, it looks like to me. Yeah, it's, there's too much there's too much difference between the, the slow drivers and the quickest drivers than their driver lineups. Uh, pretty strong, but it's just not strong enough. It's not, certainly not as strong enough as the Porsche of, uh, of uh, Herbert and the Ferrari of Scuderia Praha. What? The other thing... Jochen Krumbach is the, is the name now that people will know, and he is in fact rated as a, uh, a semi-pro. Henrik Stiel, who did a cracking job at the weekend in the Nürburgring race in very difficult conditions. He did the early part of the race, and I was very impressed by him. The key thing about doing the 24-inch series is that how you go about your race tactically Correct. and how you apply and and the experience of the code 60 regs completely different uh, you know no you know the races that we do elsewhere in the world when you go full course caution it's quite a simple process you pit the car you extend that fuel window 
it's not as simple as that with Creventic Racing and the Creventic Series because under Code 60 conditions, which is like a virtual safety car where everybody slows down, it's, we call it the purple flag, don't we? Mm-hmm. You're only allowed to take on 50% of your fuel allocation. Mm-hmm. So it's like, when do you come in? When do you not come in? And it's the teams that end up at the front who have got the experience in this series that always rise to the top, it seems. Ple- ask, ask Mark Lemmer from Barlow. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I enjoyed talking to Mark when we were at Mazzano. Uh, it's Michello. Michello. Um So that's Friday and Saturday. We'll be having uh, uh, full coverage from there as well. Uh, quickly, because we've got another guest on the line, and I want to get to Sam Smith in a moment or two. And uh, some more of your Nicky mem- uh, memories here, Victor Ellis. I recall reading an interview with Nicky Lauder shortly after moving to Stuttgart in the Stars and Stripes newspaper for military overseas from the US. Uh, had a great motorsport column that was a 13-year-old's American kid's intro into a lifelong passion. Great. That's exactly what I want to hear. Very, very good. Uh, Victor Ellis says, hello from Atlanta to John, Tim, Nick, Joe and the rest of the team. Blackpool Johnny as well. First time listening live today whilst doing Dance Dad Uber duties. And hello to Tim from the Ellis girls who were amused and grateful to hear three gearheads discussing the Met Gala fashion a few weeks ago. Hey, it's a broad church here. It, it really is. Uh, it really is. Uh, Stefano Telly is listed as being Monegasque. However, he was born in Var in the south of France uh, in uh, Hydres. Hi, is in Var, France. So, how can he be monogast if he was born in France? That's a good question. Uh, Johnny, Joe, for the moment, thank you very much. I will talk a little bit about the Nürburgring qualifying race because we're all going to be talking about that. The total ADAC 24 hours at the Nürburgring. That's the week after Le Mans. That's the... Uh, uh, that's our second 24-hour race in two weeks' time. But now I want to move to somebody who you heard at the start of the programme and we haven't had on enough, quite honestly. We could talk to Sam Smith uh, about so many different things in motorsport. Tonight he's wearing his e-racing 365 hat. Uh, as we say, good evening to Sam Smith. Sam, how are you, mate? Hello, John. Very well. Yeah, good to uh, good to speak to you once more. Coming up to Berlin this weekend, and we'll talk about that at the moment, the fifth year that they've been to the airport circuit at Tempelhof. Uh, but I noticed a tweet from you after the uh, last event, which was at Monaco, of course, Monte Carlo. And we, I, I don't know, some people will remember, about two or three weeks ago, maybe a bit longer than that, we were talking about the change, the perceived change from the outside in atmosphere of what's going on in Formula E. A lot more crashes, drivers making more mistakes, making less well-informed overtaking manoeuvres. The pressure seems to be on. Uh, and your tweet was was perfectly timed for that for that debate that we were having. You've detected a bit of a change in atmosphere in, in, in the paddock of Formula E as well. Yeah, almost tangible. It was in Monaco. Um, it's, I think it's a legacy, really, John, of a lot of manufacturers coming in. I think there's a bit of a veneer, a bit of a polish that they're all playing nicely together. But as you well know, having... Uh, Having been in endurance racing and, and, and other aspects of the sport, when you do get manufacturers in and the stakes get higher, then the tensions do rise, and they certainly are rising at the moment. Uh, a lot of it, uh, it's a mix, really, sporting, technical, people scrabbling for the uh, for the, for the hidden edge or the, the unfair advantage, whatever you want to, to call it. But, 
Yeah, there's there's been a couple of things this season which which have niggled quite a few of them, and the FIA really, from their point of view, I think are, are going to have to really tighten things up in the championship. I mean, on one hand, yes, it is a a very a very young championship. This is only the fifth season, but at, at that standard, that level for an international championship, there are areas, particularly in the technical and sporting regs, where where things have to be tightened up substantially. If this isn't to become just a bit of a, a bit of a niggle, if you know, it, it could become a bit more than that. But can, can you be uh, more specific, Sam? Is, is it something yeah. you can talk about? What uh, what do you what do you mean by that in terms of the well, the sporting and technical regulations needing a look at? Well, certainly in terms of the tech regs, there has been an issue this year, which has been one of the main threads running along Formula E in its fifth season, which is that you are able to run a twin MGU in the powertrain as part of the package, which is homologated. Absolutely no problem with that. There have been very strong suspicions from the majority of the other manufacturers other than Nissan. So we're talking about Nissan here who have come into the championship after taking over Renault's franchise, essentially. Everyone will know that they're part of the same group anyway. Now, they have been particularly clever um, in that they're running a twin MGU. The the hot suspicion is is that one side of it, one of the MGUs, a smaller one, is spinning up at a different rate and is essentially, or could be, uh, acting as a secondary energy source, which is strictly against the, the regulations and how that is connected to the other MGU. So I'm going to get a bit technical here, but there is a big grey area in the regulations of, of how this twin MGU setup is actually allowed to be uh, applied on the circuit, shall we say. But presumably, though, Sam, the scrutineering before each event and it's been passed through and, and grey areas in some ways I quite like that that sort of takes us back a few years doesn't it in in other forms of of world championship racing where the regulations had loopholes or at least wiggle room and Nissan have seen something maybe that they've found able to uh to exploit and, and let's be honest We've seen this more in the past do that, uh, whether it's been with four-wheel drive cars in uh, GT racing, going back as far as Godzilla at the mountain at Bathurst, front-wheel drive and a different look at the aero, at the uh, ill-fated GTRLM at at Le Mans. They've been well-known for looking at things with a slightly sideways look. And and if they're exploiting something in the regulations, good luck to them as far as I can see yeah, well, there's, there's, there's several ways of looking at it. That That is one, and I think certainly the, the innovation is to be applauded. And the, the person who's leading this is uh, Vincent Gallardo, who won't be a name people a lot of people know, but he was the guy behind a lot of the F1 Renault um, projects in the 90s with uh, Williams and then Benetton. And he's, he's I, I call him the engine whisperer or the powertrain whisperer. He's the guy who can really make uh, make the difference in Formula E. And, and it was proved when Buemi won his championship and they won uh, three, three uh, team titles back to back. However, there, there is a difference between coming up with these ingenious technical um, setups and packages and then applying them. Yeah. In a legal in a legal manner, of course they are homologated in Formula E. <clears throat> each manufacturer powertrain has to be homologated the previous August. So remember, Formula E seasons typically start in sort of November, December. So by August, you homologate your powertrain, and then that's it. You can't change anything within it. 
so it's it, it yeah i mean it's great for us it's it's great for the people writing and talking about it but it is it is quite a complex one and i'm i'm not sure if people who are don't forget formulary is trying to engage this new younger audience you know do they really want to go into the nitty-gritty of these things it's it's one of those balances isn't it formulary is quite innovative in the sporting context but when it comes to the intricacies of the powertrain do you know is it that relevant for people on the street i don't know this is a completely new consumer in a way who who, who if you if you speak to the the marketeers and the top people within manufacturers are going to be buying uh, electric cars in the next decade and, and beyond. Tell you what it says to me, Sam, uh, is it says that Formula E is going in the right direction as they've opened up the regulations a little bit, uh, as as the plan always was to do. And it tells me it's it's proper proper motorsport when people are starting to take it that seriously manufacturers involved because the other manufacturers won't like it uh, as, as you've mentioned you also mentioned t- uh, sporting regulations that perhaps need tightening up here and there does that take in the same sort of thing or is that something more fundamental yeah i mean another example um a sort of tangible example was after monaco uh, mahindra racing who finished fourth on the road protested the top two, which was Jean-Eric Verne's DS Tichita and the second-place Nissan of, of Oliver Rowland. Now, this was on a tyre pressure technicality. Oof. And this, it's again, it's quite hard to put into words the intricacies of this, um, but one leading engineer said that the FIA had made a grey area even greyer, which uh, <laughs> isn't the first time we've heard this in, in some quarters. But... Essentially, what what Michelin do is they give a a, a tire pressure range, a, a hot and a cold range for the cars to um, for the cars to start and finish the race. And in Paris, the previous race to Monaco, Mahindra lost their pole position, which Pascal Verlaine got on the road, but was then pinged and sent back to the back of the grid. Um, and they then protested um, the top two, and their suspicion was that the tires had been under-inflated prior to the race or stored in a cold in the shade or been protected by umbrellas or whatever they did. They had observed them on the grid and then protested them afterwards saying that their car could uh, those cars could not have been could not have been legal now interestingly it took two hours for the stewards to meet and to make their decision and the um, the protest was thrown out on a technicality, an administration technicality. Oh, oh, oh. Now, no bulletin was ever issued or nothing was ever made public about what the actual readings of the top two cars were. So, you know, when I talk about niggle and ill feeling, you can understand why that, that might manifest itself in some of the teams. And, you know, it's it, it's just a, a bit of a sea change in the feel of the championship. You know, I've, I've, I've been involved in it as a journalist since day one and, um you know, I've, 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 I'm old and grizzled enough, like uh, like you, John. If I may say that, we've been around long enough to know that um, racing is not always happy. Um, you know, happy and serene. There are lots of things going on underneath the surface, and and Formula E has always had that, but it has always been within this kind of we'll all pull together and we'll all work together to get this new championship into a you know into a a bigger and better position. That is still happening for sure. But I think it's an inevitability that you're going to get these little things which I've just talked about, mm. which come into the championship. And like I say, all the better for it for us. Well, it's more for us to write about. I was I was going to say it's column inches, isn't it? Which is not not the worst thing. Um, 
the biggest change this year, of course, is the cars run all the way through without having to do the pit stop and the car swap. That's a massive change. It changes the way people look at the championship, the way people look at the technology. Um, but it has taken away an opportunity for strategy to make an overtake. And I just wonder as well, with the, the more powerful cars, the cars going quicker, whether that's changed the... Uh, atmosphere or the character should i say of some of the races i see a lot of frustration from drivers uh, making um low percentage lunges and, and we're talking about racetracks here that aren't like normal racetracks they are street tracks that are laid down perfect example coming up this weekend at the uh, at the uh, berlin airport at tempelhof um actually that's probably one of the wider ones um across the season but that's changed it as well sam and I know it's good for PR, but I'm not sure that all these accidents and red flags are are good for the the series. It, it begins to look a, a little bit, a little bit higgledy piggledy, and all a bit stock cars. Uh, and I, I don't mean NASCAR racing at that point, but all, it all looks a bit untidy at times as well. And I'm, I, I, sh I should assume that that's been looked at as well because that's not good for the championship. Yeah, you're right. There's, there's lots of different strands, actually, John, that have come into season five. The, the most obvious of, of which is the hardware that, you know, the new cars, the way they look, they're more powerful, they have more energy, they're quicker. Um, then there is the format, the sporting format of the races. Previously, um, previously it was a, a lap race. Now it's 45 minutes plus one lap. Mm. Um, there are no pit stop, as you says, as you said, they have to do the race on one set of tires, which Michelin provide a, a pretty durable all weather set of tires. Um, yeah. And then actually beyond that, the most determining factor, I believe, and a lot of the drivers will tell you the same is the qualifying yeah. uh, procedure. So in qualifying now, the procedure is you have five groups and those groups are determined by the championship standings. So the top five in the championship will go out first. Now, previously, they had a lottery. So there would be a lottery and it would be made up of, um, you know, you, you would go by whatever's drawn out of the hat. So actually, the structure is very different. And obviously, not nine times out of ten but almost you know the the the, the actual the, the predominant feature of qualifying as you know is that irrespective of what you're racing and what circuit you're racing on going out earlier is often not the best policy yeah. whether it's temperature whether it's track conditions uh, whether it's the amount of rubber laid down on the circuit and don't forget a lot of these circuits are classic street tracks where you've got all sorts of conditions on the track so mostly those who go out first in group one generally will do well to qualify in the top 10 so then you get the quickest cars more often than not behind the slowest cars yeah. now if you describe that to the man in the pub or your casual observer he'd go fantastic great stuff and actually a lot of it is to be applauded because it guarantees it guarantees a lot of it action, a lot of overtaking, and a lot of attempts to overtake. Problem is, like I said, a lot of these circuits that these guys are racing on are very tight, very twisty, and are difficult to overtake on. Henceforth, you do get some desperation. From is that drivers. deliberate, do you think, Sam, that, that it's almost a, a balancing of performance? You know, in, in some championships, you see success ballast. Is this a form of sporting regulation type success ballast that the best guys at the front of the championship don't get the best track position and therefore probably don't get the best 
uh, starting position. And, and I mean, that's, it has led to a championship for the drivers, at least, that is very, very close indeed. So in terms of a sporting spectacle and for television, that's worked. Well, I agree. And I had a good sit-down interview with Scott Elkins, who you, you'll know, John, is yeah. the uh, race director, he's the permanent race director of Formula E now, and, and, and a great guy. He's got so much respect from the drivers. Now, you know, Scott would have been um, would have been part of the uh, the discussions about the race format and how things were run for Season 5, along with Formula E uh, themselves. Um yeah, I, th- I think it was certainly a predetermined part of the, of the sporting landscape for season five. They had to find something that replaced the pit stops. Yeah. And uh, what I've not mentioned yet is, is that part of the race format is where you have this boost. You have an attack zone area, which you run over and trigger three transponder loops, and you get an extra 25 kilowatts of power, which actually... As I'd, I don't think I'm the only one who had major doubts about this, and a lot of the drivers did before the start of the season, has more often than not worked really well. Yes. It gives an extra layer of strategy. Um, it, you have a denomination of time you can use. It's been consistent throughout this season of um, two times that you can use it, which lasts four minutes. So you get this extra 25 kilowatts of boost twice during the race. That's that's just nearly 34 horsepower for those who don't do those things. 33 and a half uh, horsepower. Yeah. If you, yeah. if you, so that, that's significant on a car that weighs not very much more than a shopman trolley, a single seater. Uh, and if you've got that much more, that can make the difference... It's a bit like when we see on IndyCar when they're on the the, the boost button, um, but yeah. they, they they get it at will. This is you get it for four minutes, and bad luck by the way if you do it just as the the virtual safety car comes out because it doesn't reset. So there's all that part of it. So that's a significant change, and it, and as you said, it's made things very interesting about tactically when you use that. It has. I think the best place it was used, or the the most entertaining part, was the scrap between Andre Lotter and, and Mitch Evans in Rome, and it went it boiled down to them together for the last phase of the race, really. I think Stoffel van Dorn was within range, but uh, faded in the last sort of 10 laps. And you have this great close battle whereby Mitch Evans, uh, Lotterer took it concurrently, which you're allowed to do, and then Evans had one deployment left, but only had a slender advantage over Lotterer. So, you know, you have to go offline, so you naturally lose a second, maybe a second and a half, or even more, depending on where it's placed. Now, that's a key is where this activation zone is placed around the track. It's 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 worked on occasions. It hasn't worked on others. I thought uh, at Monaco, it, yeah, you're so limited to where you can use it at Monaco. Yes, they used yes. it just on the left before you went to Tabak, which um, you know worked okay. But there there are other circuits where it lends itself more to to, to using it. And the key, obviously, is to to, to penalise the drivers slightly before they take it. Um, and then they, they make it up with the extra power. And, yeah, generally it's worked well. I, I think generally the FIA and Formula E should be applauded for coming up with something so innovative. But, of course, going back to the first point, you know, clashes and and um, and, uh, and incidents are part and parcel of racing usually anyway. But on a street track with 22 of those cars, and don't forget these Season 5 cars have this sort of all-encompassing bodywork yes. at the front. They have these huge diffusers at the back. You know, there's there's going to be contact. There's going to be chunks missing out of them. But again, they've been made really well by Spark Racing Technologies. And my big fear, actually, at the start of the season, I remember speaking to uh, Vern, to Jean-Eric Vern, back in September, I think, about tactical contact. Now, I haven't seen 
tactical contact in the most um, cynical fashion, if you know what I mean. You mean bump and run, if we're talking, again, stock car, bump and run, moving somebody yeah. over, a bit of hip and shoulders kind of exactly. thing. Yeah, you're always good for a phrase like that, John, rather than the, you can come up with them. I like but tactical that... contact, tactical contact. So, but you see, that, that makes it sound... You know, all right. That's a bit like saying simulation in football when people are actually throwing themselves yeah. to the the ground and cheating. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, a good point. I mean, th- there has been some very there's been some dodgy moves. That's that's for sure. But you know, the, again, Scott Elkins and the guys at the FIA have employed a, a sort of quite a, a disciplined stance on it. Yes, you know, you yes. will get penalised for the for the following races. You, races you will get. Uh, drive-through penalties and you will get time added penalties and 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 people have had their races ruined and as we've seen we've had eight different winners yes from nine races now Vern is the only one to have scored uh, more than one victory Andre Lotterer who is one point off Vern for the title has not scored a victory this year no. so he could do a he could do a Keke Rosberg in 1982 and win the thing by only winning one race maybe so and, and, and only you... five points further back from second so six off the lead Robin French uh, for Envision Virgin uh, yeah. and then we've got a, a bunch of people on 70 69 65 uh, Antonio Felix de Costa Lucas de Grassi Mitch Evans Jerome D'Ambrosio all within five points of each other as well so it, it has been close it's what hasn't been close is the team's championship DS Tichita Formula E team are bossing the uh, bossing the team's championship as would be obvious for with two of the, their two drivers at the the front of the the grid what have they done better than anybody else Sam um well sounds obvious but look at their driver lineup you've got Vern uh, reigning champion and a guy who you know should have probably had a, a longer F1 career than he did have and he's still only something ridiculous like 28 or something I can't believe he's still he's still that young and uh, Andre Lotterer needs no introduction to, to anyone listening to this program somebody who you and I have followed since he uh, well probably since he started racing back in the early 2000s and has achieved as much as you uh, you can achieve in racing really and without uh, Without blowing my own trumpet, I did stick my neck out at the start of the season and say that Lotterer, you know, would win the title this year. And and my reasoning for that is that he has helped develop a lot of the brake-by-wire system on that car, and this is new for season five. And I attended one of their private tests, was lucky enough to go out to the Califat circuit near Barcelona last July and spent a day with Andre and the engineers there. And, And just, you know, even just being a casual observer seeing how Lotterer works um, and seeing how he he uh, applies his knowledge and his experience of working with Audi and Porsche for so many years and utilising that with another manufacturer in DS who are very, very capable. You know, their brake-by-wire system and their whole technical package around that aspect was it does have its roots back in, back in its World Rally Car days with uh, Citroën. Right, right. A lot of the guys on that, Xavier Mestalan, um, you, these are names people will know from the rally program and how successful that was for for many many years. And they were testing before anyone else was last year, and they did a lot. They were always confident coming into the season. And I think if we had a race format that was a bit more conventional, and with qualifying format which was more conventional, you would see a hierarchy. And, and at the top of that hierarchy, I'm pretty sure would be these guys. And even taking that out we can still see that they are the leaders. And I'd be very surprised if either Vern or Lotterer doesn't win the title this season. Uh, you 
We've got uh, Sam Smith from eRacing365 uh, on the line this evening here at uh, Midweek Motorsports talking about Formula E. This weekend, back for the fifth time of asking, the championship goes to uh, Berlin. Uh, very much this event, uh, how this how this series was conceived, get get the racing into places it wouldn't normally get, used as part of Tempelhof uh, Air. Uh, air, airport uh, and a track that has had some good racing uh, in the past. How do you see it going this weekend and, and who's the favourites or does it come very much down to that qualifying as you were mentioning before? Yeah, qualifying's vital, John. And the other thing that's vital at, at Templehof is such a quirky surface. It's a it's an old concrete surface. So, you know, you man, you remember watching um, Cleveland IndyCar races yes. in the Burkefront Air, Burk, uh, airport, Port, yeah. That, that's right. Yeah, very similar. Reminds me of that. It's quite a quirky place to go racing, but it seems to work. And obviously, it's very, uh, it's very popular with the German manufacturers, of which we've now got. Well, we will have five next year, obviously with Porsche and with Mercedes coming in. So, yeah, it's it's all about the tire management. It's all about getting the grip levels right. Interestingly, this year there is a refined or a changed timetable in that practice happens on Friday afternoon. Oh. And qualifying happens on Saturday morning, and the race will happen at one o'clock. Now that's very different to what's been happened, what's happened at Templehof before. The reason for that is it's been moved because of the German Cup final between Leipzig and Bayern Munich. So once everyone's uh, done the press conference and, and and written their stories, they can get off down the the beer keller and watch that game. But it will have an impact on the on the racing there. I mean, Audi was super strong there last year. Daniel Apps dominated it and, and put one over his more decorated teammate, Lucas Degrassi, and they got a one, two. I think it will be different this year. Um, it will be all about qualifying. Uh, Vern is in group one, which could put him back in the midfield at best. So we'll see, but BMW on efficiency, on managing their battery, on managing their power, um, BMW are very good, and Antonio Felix da Costa could be among the favourites, will be among the favourites, and Alexander Sims, who you and I have both watched in endurance racing and Formula 3 and various other things in the past, we know how good he is. He's been really unlucky this year. He's due a big result. So if Alexander Sims gets a clean weekend, then then watch out for him. Just looking further ahead, um, one of... We've seen again recently uh, Formula E made a socking great, nearly 40 million loss again, operating loss last year, actual loss last year. Um, one of the things that always surprises me, Sam, is that there's only one race at the weekend. There's a lot of infrastructure costs to set these things up. It doesn't matter what cars are racing around street or semi-permanent or um, this type of circuit. The infrastructure costs are huge. Will do you think we might see a move in future seasons to two races per weekend, or is that is that just a step too far? I think it's more likely that we could see some events expand into double headers or into two days. The series finale does, of course, in New York. Yeah, yeah. yeah New York is the only one this year. Last year we had uh, Hong Kong at the start of the year as a double header as well. I mean, they are brutally tough for for everybody, especially the teams to do that um, and obviously now teams only have one car you know they, they do have spare cars of course but um, in terms of the infrastructure and getting everything in place it's a big ask you know some of these places we go to I remember walking around the Santiago circuit with Buemi and Nico Pross last year I think it was the Thursday before the race the race was on a Saturday and we all looked at each other and, and at the same time said this isn't going to happen is it 
this this race is not going to happen. And it, of course it does. They work all night. They work through different jurisdictions, the politics, the shutting the roads down. It is remarkable how they do it. I get your point in terms of the one race, and it's a 45-minute race, but don't forget that Formula, Formula E have been very clear on the fact that they want to attract not the traditional classic racing bobble hats and, and weirdos like us, John. <laughs> they, they want to go for a younger audience. They want to go for um, people coming into cities as, as tourists or stumbling across a, a, an event that's on. And um, part of their... Mo is is to get these people on board and to show them, um, you know, the whole environmentally sustainable uh, aspect of uh, electric cars and electric technology. So I think on some, you know, some places like Mexico City, Hermanos Rodriguez, Templehof, you know, maybe even Marrakesh if the championship stays with Marrakesh, and, and the latest indications are that it might not. But those kind of tracks, semi-permanent tracks, double headers are a lot easier to to execute, of course. So that that could come into play in the future. That sounds like a discussion for a whole other time sam smith from e-racing 365 joining us tonight at midweek motorsport uh, have a, a great rest of the season sam we'll talk to you again possibly at the end of the season for a bit of review if you don't mind pleasure john absolute pleasure uh, sam smith from e-racing 365 midweek motorsport and we've got a bit to squeeze in before the end of the show tonight we've got a light that's uh, flickering in the background i'll deal with that in a moment uh Catching Shea Adam today is quite difficult because she's in between flights at the moment uh, and talking to us from an airport. I suspect, Shea, that a few people are looking at you rather strangely at the moment. <laughs> well, there are always people looking at me strangely, John, let's face it. But yeah, I'm in an undisclosed airport lounge in an undisclosed location, <laughs> heading to an undisclosed location somewhere in California for an undisclosed purpose. So Excellent. yeah, just, I feel like Nick Damon. We'll, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll get people up to speed with that uh, when we have some more details to tell them. But it's quite an exciting, uh, quite an exciting thing that you're on at the moment. Um, NASCAR, uh, let's talk about that first of all. Okay, first off, if you didn't tune in at 6 p.m. because everybody was saying, no, 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 turn in at 8, that's when the All-Star Race is going to be. And Tim and I discussed many months ago the rules for the All-Star Race and just how completely convoluted they were. The B-Main Race, as Kyle Larson called it, was the thing worth tuning into. That started two hours before the All-Star Race. Three stages, very simple. You win one of the stages and you're in. You can park up your race car and start getting it ready for the big race. Mm. Well, the first person to win and earn his way in was William Byron and holy cow did he make a pass right at the end of the stage came from third to take the win ahead of Bubba Wallace and I can't remember who the other person he was battling but it, it was a serious boss move as my dad even said and those aren't words that he normally uses stage two was a bit more emotional because there's crunch time coming in Darren Wallace Jr. Bubba as we know him there's been a lot of talk lately about the lack of success within the STP colored car. If you run for the king, you're expected to win. He hasn't been to victory lane in a very long time. He hasn't been getting the results that they expected to. Well, he came through in a big way and got the win at the end of stage two, got out of his car, and his best friend, Ryan Blaney, was waiting there in the garage for him, made him cry before he did his interview job. It was really mean, but it was one of those things. He just kept saying, we needed a win, and this is our chance, and it really was. It was, it was a cool moment. Stage three rolled around. Kyle Larson came through, swept that, and, I mean, he was untouchable in terms of that part of the race. 
So that meant that those three drivers got to move on, and also Alex Bowman because he won the popular vote. They got to move on and have an opportunity at taking one million dollars home that night. Dollars. And it does come in a nice big check, which we'll get to that in a second. But big uh, comedy checks. De- Dex yep. loves big comedy checks. That's that's exactly what it was. Well, all right, we'll we'll just spoil it now. It was Kyle Larson who wound up winning that race, and of course, one of Chip Ganassi's big sponsors is PNC Bank. So he was going on Twitter asking PNC Bank if he could cash the check, uh, which was very funny. But it, it was a much less exciting race in the actual All Star race. It was when it got to the cool down. Hold on, though. I was going to say we <laughs> we had a proper old fashioned Days of Thunder style uh, <laughs> yeah. cooling down lap. Yeah, uh, Clint Boyer, not entirely sure what was going on. Um, He pulled down in front of Ryan Newman, who was also in the race as dint of being a previous series champion. So he had earned his way in. Uh, Newman had, not Boyer. Boyer's never won the championship. But in any case, pulled down across the nose. Newman clearly didn't like it. And the result was uh, Clint Boyer being shoved up into the outside wall at quite a good speed. Mm. So that wound up wrecking most of his car. Still got it back into the pit lane, did Boyer. Jumped out of his race car. And, I mean, you would have thought the thing was on fire, the speed with which Clint got out. Still fully helmeted, still gloved and everything. Runs over to Newman's car. And Newman is sitting in his car, taking his helmet off, getting cooled off, and just starts throwing punches into the cockpit of Ryan Newman's car. It was the most... It was like those little sock and bopper um, robots that you used to have where they would just punch from the waist. That's what Clint Boyer was doing over and over again. I haven't seen anything about him getting a fine as of yet, but there were people immediately afterwards who were saying, oh, he needs to be suspended for that. Well, no, I completely agree with you, John. It is old school NASCAR. We just haven't seen it in a long time. Yeah, uh, uh, The problem is that nowadays that doesn't fit with no. the PR and marketing. Um, no, it but used it to. with Clint Boyer. Well, it fits yeah. with his personality. Uh, uh, let's talk WEC and IMSA together here because the announcement earlier on the day by Twitter originally from BMW Motorsport is that they are going to be pulling their WEC program. We've been talking about this for a while. It was on the cards. It is now official. Uh, the WEC program ends at Le Mans uh, this uh, next month, rather, this year. Um, part of that is because of the way the, the transition season uh, spread across two years. They'd only ever said right at the very beginning, remember, that it was going to be a two-year uh, commitment. So they're keeping an eye on WEC to see which way Le Mans to see which way it goes. That's already said. However, it's good news if you're an M8 GTLM fan and the uh, a fan of IMSA. Well, yeah, they, they said that they are uh, discontinuing the program at the end of Le Mans for the WEC, but that the IMSA program will continue. Now, reading between the lines, they didn't say for how long, but no. again, that, that's not something we need to worry about now. The good news is we're still going to have it post Le Mans for eight races that come after the big one in France, I think, for IMSA. So we've got quite a few more opportunities to see the cars running in GTLF, but it's very disappointing to see that the BMW program that MTech has worked so hard on is going to be ended after just the one season, one full season, two years at Le Mans in effect. But it's sort of um, interesting that this happened when it did, because when I was on my first flight earlier, John, I was listening back to Le Mans and both of the M8 GTE Pro cars hit trouble before we even got to midnight last year at Le Mans. But before the second one had hit trouble, it was running up in the second position. Now, okay, it was in the middle of a really good fight. 
wound up having a suspension failure, I think it was on that car. But the fact that they won't be continuing to build and develop such a strong GTLM pro, a GTE Pro program, excuse me, that just leaves me a little bit sad, not only for the team, but also for the drivers. Uh, WEC continues, uh, and WEC next up, of course, test weekend for the WEC uh, uh Next weekend. weekend. Next weekend, yes. While we're at yeah. Detroit for IMSA. I've, I've sort of thrown that, that BMW announcement into the American news because it has connotations to, to, uh, 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 to the IMSA program there. Um, but the IMSA guys are back at Detroit, not the GT Le Mans cars, of course, because they are in France. That's where that old is pulled together. This is the first GTD event of the Sprint Series. It is, uh, and it is not a point scoring round for the full series. But word seems to be that, I mean, we had Scott Atherton saying that he thought they had a pretty big field. A big field for sure. Uh, I still haven't been able to grab an official entry list off the IMSA website, the competitor site being very dodgy today for some reason and showing little icons instead of buttons that you would normally click. But in any case, um, from what I understand, there will be no FAF Motorsports Porsche. That will not be there for Zachary Robichon and Scott Hargrove. Keep in mind how much crash damage they've accrued so far this year. Detroit could be very, very expensive for them for a race in which they're not running for that championship necessarily. They had a really bad running in mid-Ohio, so they're already out of it for the um, sprint championship in effect. No Riley Motorsports Mercedes. That comes as zero surprise. Jerome Blake Mullen and Ben Keating will be overplaying with the uh, other part of our team over in France. And no more speed Audi. This is one that actually did catch me a little bit off guard. Alex Ruberis and Will Hardiman electing not to run wow. Belle Isle. Again, crash damage could come into play there. And that's something that they're cognizant of. But the cars that we do have, there's a couple that are really, really captivating, from my opinion. The Acuras, to begin with, the Meyer Shank Racing Acuras, were not a given that we we were going to see them. Now, when I talked to the team at Mid-Ohio, they were pretty sure that they were going to be back to defend their title uh, around the streets of Belle Isle. They've had such strong runnings there, winning the last two years in a row in terms of the team. But they weren't sure if they were going to be going and who was going to be driving. Well, now the driver lineups are out. That was announced yesterday, I believe. Trent Hinman and Mario Farnbacher are going to be in the 86. They are our championship leaders. But again, Again, they will leave Belle Isle, regardless of the results, championship leaders, because that championship not scoring points. Christina Nielsen and Catherine Legg back in the sister car, the cat car. A cat who is running quite the wave of success at Belle Isle, won winning last yes. year with Mario and the year before with Andy Lally. So that's going to be a really interesting performance because Christina has three podiums in four years yep. at Belle Isle. If we take last year out of it, she's a very strong driver at that track. Uh, also coming back, uh, we've got the Compass McLaren uh, yeah. coming back, which I'm pleased. Uh, they had a, a quiet but relatively successful run, didn't uh, tear the track mm -hmm. up at mid-Ohio, had one yeah. or two little technical issues that we were working uh, with, but good to see those guys coming back. Uh, Park Place, now, um, Pat Long is available, but his normal teammate well. won't be. Well, he's he's sort of available. He's also going to be running at Le Mans. He's sharing a Porsche with Tracy Crone and Nick Janssen over there. But he doesn't need to qualify the for Le Mans. class. 
No, he doesn't. And, but he does need to set the car up because Nick and Tracy have not driven a Porsche since a I believe the last time that they drove it was actually with Jörg Bergmeister back in the early 2000s. It was their first time to Le Mans. So it's been a good long point. time. But again, Pat can handle the jet like he lives in California and flies to the East Coast for races all the time. It's not something he's not used to. But they're not going to be putting Patrick Lindsay in the car. So it's not going to be the Patmobile necessarily. We don't know yet who the second driver is. Don't believe what's on the entry list necessarily i've been told there might be a surprise coming along okay. for that second driver it well might pat lindsey patrick lindsey of course is the most popular man normally at Belle isle <laughs> because he's got access to private planes and he does fly that's exactly. what he does in his in his day job and well, you know so he could be there and they could be in in france in plenty of time for the for the well, sunday running well, have no have no fear, John, if you're looking to jump on a private plane uh, going from Detroit straight over to Test Day, because we should still see Cooper McNeil, who will be bringing Tony Valander over with him to Le Mans. So there will be a couple of seats on that plane, I would imagine. Um, but it is going to be a lot of drivers going back and forth between the two events. And it's going to be a really busy pit lane mm-hmm. at Belle Isle with so many cars. Um, I haven't yet done the calculations to total up everybody who's going to be doing both races, but one guy who's not this year will be Philippe Nasser, who had such a good run at Belisle last year, got the win this year sharing with Pippo Durrani. Pippo's the one who's going to be jumping on a plane going over to France, so Philippe can worry only about setting up the car. Yeah, we should mention that the prototypes, all the usual suspects are there. That yeah. is a round of the standard championship, of the, yes. of the year-long championship, so I expect to see a full list uh, there. Sure, listen, I know that you're in between flights at the moment, so thank you for taking time out to speak with us. Good luck with where you're going. I know what you're doing and we'll let people know when we know. Uh, wish you all the best for that and uh, we'll speak to you next week. Thanks, John. Have a good weekend. I, I was going to say, and that's all we've got time for, but there's questions I still need to ask here. Okay, fire away. Uh, I've still got Johnny and Joe here who are yes. listening intently and want to talk about BMW. I, I specifically want to speak to Joe about something uh, oh, in okay. a moment, but and we'll talk about BMW. But first, uh, we have news about uh, Pat Long and who he's sharing a car with. Well, Cher hinted there not to believe what you might see on the entry list. Actually, I still can't see the entry list on the IMSA competitor site, but Zachary Robichon has rather um, shot the bolt early because uh, he's tweeted that he's going to be in the park place Porsche. Uh, Zachary, uh, an up-and-coming star in the IMSA Porsche GT3 Cup Challenge USA by Yokohama, and he has tweeted that he's going to be in the park place Porsche at Detroit, which will be... Uh, a great move for him and well deserved because he is coming up through the developmental series. We'll get more news on that for next week before we head out to Detroit. Our coverage Friday and Saturday next week. Not this weekend, next weekend. This weekend we're at uh, Bruno for the Hancock 12 hours. Yes. Next weekend we're not just at Detroit though. We're somewhere else. Uh, it's the Mobile One Radio Le Mans 91.2 FM Roadshow. Uh, when Johnny and Joe are heading uh, to Hunstanton. To, to Hunstanton, yes. <laughs> Smiley Miley. And we're going to check out how, <laughs> how many miles it will be. So uh, that's uh, not this weekend, but next weekend. They're Is that with uh, special guest Bucks Fizz? Yeah, yeah. It's it's not an 80s party night, you know. If okay. it is, then Nick Damon should probably get an invitation as well, that's seeing as he's love for the uh, Eurovision Song Contest. Yeah, Nick's not available next week. So you two and whoever you can rope in. It's only two, three-hour sessions. It's not long. Exactly. 
You'll find it's it's two four-hour sessions, but yeah, it's still, not, yeah, it's not, not a competitive well, no, you get an hour back when you come back over. So Very good point. It's, yeah. it's not a competitive <laughs> session, so it's just a Johnny and I chatting for eight hours. <laughs> With some people why, you find. why would you not want to listen? Exactly. <laughs> there will be people being talked to there. Joe will be interviewing people. Oh, yeah. uh, and there'll be people not there being talked to as well, because uh, Paul Trussell will be joining you from the Woking Data Centre. Uh, possibly, yes. He's going to try and get back from his other gig for that. Um, I was talking to him on Sunday when we were doing the, the Nürburgring. Um, WEC Le Mans this year will be the swan song for the BMW M8 uh, GTE, Johnny. It seems like only yesterday we were getting all excited about this. It's actually, I think, just coming up to four years since BMW announced that they were going back to Le Mans. They've mm. done one Le Mans and one season, albeit a longer than normal season, of WEC. And um, you're a small chopped onion. That's shallot. It seems like the World Endurance Championship's worst kept secret, really, because uh, it's been rumoured for many many months now that BMW wouldn't be continuing um, I, I don't know it, it's always been a troubled campaign because it you've already rem- always remarked that BMW are unique in the sense that they have three different models on the market yes. M4 for GT4 M6 for GT3 and then the GTE car is an M8 has that paid in the end because the, you know it's so costly isn't it to put three different chassis in and now they start to think well actually we need to be concentrating on hybrid or all-electric technology, is this particularly relevant? The M6 is going brilliantly well. Didn't you have a top three in the qualifying race on Sunday? Yeah. And they won the Spa 24 last year as well. So uh, there's a new GT3 coming, I think, in the next three years. So, I mean, all... The question will be what platform's that on? <laughs> true, true. Mm. And, and, and if it's not the M8, then that'll be even more telling, won't it? Because they realise, again, they've gone the wrong M- way. M6 and GT3. Yeah, I know, but... Mm. but oh, uh, yes, sorry, I see. The, M- the M8 that they're now scrapping as a race car, if they don't go the M8 route, then they really have reached a blind alley with that. I mean, it's been so difficult to get... They, they, they had to redefine the regulations they wanted to enter was it two years ago and what well, things weren't quite right and they had to get the roof line slightly lower to make it competitive yeah they wanted and... to take a whole remember jens markart was with us at the nurburgring 24 mm. and said look you know we wanted to take a whole load of uh, uh metal effectively yeah out of the middle of the car and drop the, effectively chop and channel the car and get it lower so that's a very american custom thing but they wanted to get the car lower by taking four or five inches out of the line above the wheels and you weren't you're not allowed to do that to make it more aero uh, just to drag it down out of the air and if you're going to do that all the other manufacturers have got to say yes and they they went the long way down the line of of building prototypes for that car and then right at the last moment two manufacturers said mm, not happy with that and they mm. had to, and i think yen said it put them back half a year put them back six months they're not going to stop campaigning that car though because they're going to continue in imsa that's tells me that bmw usa are flexing their muscles and we've seen this before joe because when the prototypes finished in at, at Le Mans and in what was then the equivalent series of the World Championship, they continued in the ELMS because BMW North America appeared for it. Those lovely V12, uh, those lovely V12 LMRs. Before I make a comment on that, and there's a simple saying to to cover that, um, you would you wouldn't want to make a living in this business, would you? You know, and when we talk about a manufacturer pulling out of a program like the World Endurance Championship, 
there's a lot of people being making phone calls and scuttling around and trying to get other jobs with other teams and other programs. You know, there's a body of people there employed on this program, mm. and we kind of forget the human element behind putting two race cars on, onto a track. And it, you know, the ripple effect is that. I think the simple saying with regards to why maybe the American program continues is win on Sunday, sell on Monday. Is the M8 selling a lot better in the US? It's a big push um, behind know, the M8 I, at the I, moment. I, I don't know. I mean, it's a beautiful car, isn't it? It's big. I don't know what the figures are. I don't know if the M8 sales are down in Europe and elsewhere in the world, and the, that can't justify their world championship. I think that's just—it's more of a uh, targeted market in the states, correct? And um, you know they want to carry it. It's a but, car that but, was very much would, uh, US in its, its thought. Would they it, honestly it, pull it halfway through a season there? I mean, it was always going to carry on in IMSA, wasn't it, for uh, the rest uh, well, of nineteen? But the question the, is, the question is whether it 20. it comes back in twenty. And, and, and then, if it comes back in twenty, well, why not continue in the WEC? Because you can't think. I wouldn't have thought it'd be that much more money to do another winter season and then pull it at Le Mans oh, at 2020. No, but, but it's two separate teams, it's Johnny. Massive, is it? okay. It's two separate teams because you've got Mayhar Lennon and Lanigan in the US who will continue. You've got MTech and, you know, MTech don't, I, I think, from some comments I've seen today, MTech don't feel as though they've been given a fair crack of the whip no. because they've only effectively had, you know, as I said to Shea there, the original thing was we're going to do two years. Well, the transition season has stretched across those two years and the money for the WEC runs out at the end of this calendar year, which means you can't start another season mm. and, as you say, pull out halfway through. But I get the I get the feel that MTech feel that they this might be a bit of a missed opportunity. I've been reading quite a lot over recent weeks about Ernest Knors, who yeah. is the boss at MTech, and um, he's the MTech are well known from the DTM days as well when they used to run cars. Uh, How difficult is it to get a hold of the two BMWs that have been been used in the the Super Caesar? I mean, they're not exactly going to be farmed off to a museum because there's not much pedigree in them. So all of a sudden, there are two BMW M8s on the market, GTEs. Uh, We're seeing for the first time a a Ford GT as a customer car at Le Mans this year. In arm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's to stop them running? Well, they couldn't run an arm yet because they're not a year old. But no, they can run an arm next year. They're very expensive they cars to run. You're gonna. You're all gonna the need... GTEs are. That's what I mean. The GTE... Competitively, I think. Well, well just, just to run. No, no, yeah, Johnny, they're, just they're, to compete. Expect... Just to turn up and run. So that what's car. the cost once you've bought the cars? Oh, it's got to be LMP. It's it's as much, if not more, than an LMP2 car for World Endurance Championship. Yeah, it's it's you've got to be looking at what five million, six million. What once you've got the what cars? Up, up further, ten. I mean, the cars are built, and you don't do any develop on them, on on them. You just obviously you've got to pay some drivers, and you've got to ship them around the world. Uh, okay. You can have to have a very very wealthy AM driver and who got, likes BMWs. And you've got yeah. t- you've oh, got and you've sure got the is. shipping costs are the same regardless of what car you have, though. No, I know, but but it's all, that's all the of issue. the things apart from the cost of the car are the same regardless well, of what M- car you have. M- that was always my motto, Tim. Doesn't matter what you drag off the truck. A cart or an F1 cart. Logistically, it's all the same. Hmm? The, the, the MTech, I think, were hoping to get a little more time to try and raise some money commercially to see if they could continue on the sort of basis that Johnny and, and Joe's talking about there by yeah. saying to BMW, look, you know, give us the cars, lease us the cars, however it works. Um, let, let's see if we can raise the money commercially. It appears that right now that that hasn't worked for them. How is there a Ford GT in AM? Because Ben Keating has put the money up. 
There so it that's is. what you need. There, there isn't it is, it? right there. Uh, and, and and Ben Keating's got a big sponsor in Wins, and Wins are going to be all over that car at Le Mans. Mm. Right. Yes. So so oh, yeah. here's the thing though. When you talk about that, that, that's a good point though. So unlikely to have any Fords in Pro next year. Mm. We know that one's done. Um, unless we get a private a, a private team or somebody trying to. So no no Fords, no BMWs. Mm-hmm. So that leaves you with Porsche, two cars. Two new Corvettes, the new mid-engine cars. They'll be at Le Mans next year, probably. If not, it'll be the old cars. Uh, two Aston Martins, right? That's yeah. six. Uh, Possibly more than more than more of the vantages. Ah, because TF. Have, in fact, actually, TF have um, said today that they're going to enter again next year, but they're only. A Am car, mm. aren't they? Yeah. Yep. So we're still only talking about... Alana will have one, I'm sure. But, again, but again, but talking, talking about pros, into, factory yeah, okay. teams, we're into six cars, then the, there has to be some uh, pro Ferraris. So one or two Ferraris, you could be talking as few as eight pro cars in the WEC and mm-hmm. at Le Mans next year. Mm-hmm. That's that. Mm. That's not good. That's not a good look. That isn't a good look. Squash Going back is. to these CMWs, John. Yeah, yeah. yeah, go ahead. If we were to buy them and run them as a private <laughs> team, yes. How many years do we get out of them before they fall out of homologation? How how much can we amortise this investment over multiple seasons? It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. He's writing the proposal now. Mm. Come on. It, 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 it's how long they're going to be competitive, Tim. You know, the, uh, the good news for anybody who wanted to take that on, and I mean, that's a fair point that Tim's saying there, but I'll come at it from a different angle. The good news is that you could take those cars on for two, possibly three seasons, because that car is in its first season of competition. So there's still plenty of performance gains to be made on that car. When you choose a car like that to go motor racing, what you look at is the customer support. And you've got, you know, you're going to buy a Porsche. There's no customer support you're going to buy in a Ferrari. The, 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 in the AM class, there is because they're feeding no, off. Which, are, okay, sorry, if we're talking about AM. AM, AM GTE. Yes, uh, yes. There's got, there's got to be. If you're just left out on a limb with two, you know, they, they close the doors, you walk away with. But that's two why you have to run it. But that's MA why GTEs. somebody. That's why somebody like RLL. Or oh. MTech, who are already running the cars, well, I was, need to be the people that run I'm it. already typing the email to, to Real Letterman yeah. with some kind of technical support for engines and, and all of that. But that, you know what we're talking here is, we're talking the cost's just going up all the time. But here's the thing. The technical support. Here's the thing that could happen. Given that Ford in Europe, the, the WAC team probably won't exist next year, mm-hmm. Given that the BMW WEC team won't exist in its current form next year, does that open the door then for RLL, who've wanted to go to Le Mans for ages but haven't been allowed to do so because the WEC team was there? Mm. Does that give them an opportunity? Now, you're talking about adding probably something in the region of $3 million to go to Le Mans? No, I think it's more than that. For the one event? For one event, for two cars. It'll be three. It'll be three to four million dollars, I reckon. Yeah, didn't someone put a price on that? I yeah. mean, no, nobody. Maybe that's does. a bit much, but yeah. it'll not be. It'll not be far out. You know what? That might happen. That might happen. Well, otherwise, well, you kept saying RLL. I was thinking RLM <laughs> came into my head. It's like, 
Yeah, let's get two BMWs down the road. That would be RSL. So have we just discovered why BMW won't let M-Tech have the cars? Because everybody promised them to RLL. What, to run at Le Mans only? They don't need well, RLL's that. already got... Well, I suppose you could leave... You, then you wouldn't have to bring the ones out from the States, but you'd want um, you know, to... Well, you uh, couldn't, John, because Detroit always clashes with the They don't race at Detroit. Ah, right, of course. The, 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 the GTEs yeah, don't race at... Um, the problem with GTE, GTLM at the moment, is that there aren't enough cars being built. Um, BMW have but never... But that gives you an opportunity if you yes. want to run an but old car as a privateer because there's no one actually developing one. other rivals to be faster. No, what I mean is that I, I, one of the things I think that should happen with GTE going forwards, GT Le Mans, is that manufacturers, before they're allowed to enter their factory teams, should have to make a certain amount of cars available. So, for example, there are no customer BMWs. There is one customer Ford, and that is the old test chassis that that uh, Keating, Ben Keating has got. I believe there's only ever been six Fords built, and one of them was written off. Uh, Corvettes, we've seen Labra with a, with one or two down through the years, but not any of the more recent ones. Aston Martin, different matter. They're selling them because that's a that's a uh, an income line. Ferrari, well, that's different because they do things very differently. BMW? No. Porsche? Well, Porsche, they wrote the book on selling customer cars. But I, there's not, when manufacturers come into GTE, I think they should be, it should be mandated. As it used to be in other forms of racing, GT1s, for example, um, you had to build a certain amount for sale before you could race your factory cars. And I think that should be the same, the same way. Um, I do worry about GTE. Uh, I know that Pierre Fion wants to promote GTE to the top class in Le Mans. BMW's announcement today puts another bullet in that one. That's, a, that's another nail. He's lost a big manufacturer, and, and let's not forget, it's, but not BMW, all about, but it's not all about putting cars on a track as well. You've got the hospitality and all the corporate That's about activation. Got, yeah, yes. it's all that that goes but with interestingly, it. Interestingly, BMW said they're not finished with Le Mans. They, they want to do hydrogen, and they're pushing hard for hydrogen cars and hydrogen prototypes in particular. So does that mean that the ACO in this scramble to get the 2020 regs sorted have have compromised on that? There's so many questions. And so all of this is interlinked. You can't look at GTE um, and and think, well, that doesn't have anything to do with what's going on with LMP. Mm. And you can't think that LMP2 isn't interlinked with all of that and current LMP1. Ginetta today announcing two cars mm. for 2021 from the factory. Mm-hmm. Two cars from the factory for what is the current LMP1 privateer category, mm. which effectively could I be the top wasn't, class. Wasn't that an announcement to, to start the World Championship in August in Silverstone? Yes, that's next year. Na- that's 1920. Next event. Yes, 1920. 1920. It's like football season now, isn't it? It's a school year. Yeah. Think of it as a school year. Yeah. Somebody said that the other day, and I love that. I'm stealing it. <laughs> um, Toyota have said they'll do one more year, but that means that the best of the private is at worst, is third at Le Mans, if you can get the car to run. You're on the podium at Le Mans. Mm-hmm. And two Toyotas have problems, or there's a change in thinking in terms of the equalisation of technology. And all of a sudden, Ginetta have a chance for being Le Mans champions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And not just Ginetta, but Rebellion and all the other... Tim, Tim, I've got to tell you, 
if we didn't have, if we had never had LMP1 hybrid, and I and I actually still think that LMP1 hybrid was a genius set of regulations, and I think it's done a lot of good for racing and for technology. And the ACO should be applauded, and that was the ACO who went down that line. However, if we'd never had that, we would be looking at these current LMP1 cars and drooling, slack-jawed over them because they are nothing short of gorgeous. And Johnny, they're brilliant. You you look after the WAC for us. I only get to see them a couple of times a year. I saw them at Sebring, I see them at Le Mans. These are beautifully engineered, fantastic machines. And if that was the top class, and that's only in its, in its, in its first year as True. well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've had... You know, some come cars come in for odd rounds and then drop away for the next. And Dragon Speed aren't back again for 1920. The Enso CLM's been a bit hit and miss. But, uh, yeah, I, I like the SMPs. I like the Rebellions. They sound great. And uh, if we can get a couple of Junettas back as well. I mean, they have to be customer cars because in order to be a manufacturer entry, you have to run a hybrid. So yeah, but that's at that's OEM. That doesn't mean that Junetta can't run them as a factory. But remember that last year, well... They did turn up at Le Mans, and they were entered as from a Chinese team, TRSM, something, CEFC. CEFC. There you go. Uh, they were never entered as Junetta OEM, because you can't, if you're going to enter as that, you have to come up with a hybrid system, which is hugely expensive. Not necessarily, because Alpine don't do that. Alpine are in LMP2. You've mentioned that so. before. Oh, yes, that's a good point. So, yeah, OK, yeah. that is a good point. Um, but, yeah, it'd be nice to have a few more of them. Um so that you know, if if and when Toyota do turn their back on the championship, we're still left with something good. But but then what's where are we going? See that's 2020, that you, 2021. You we brought don't know up a good yet. point there. When you talk about manufacturing, do you mean mean OEMs, so automotive manufacturers, or do you mean chassis manufacturers? So could Dome enter in LMP1 and run their own car? Could Orica run an LMP1 and run their own car without having to call it a rebellion? Because effectively that is an Orica. Uh, I don't think they can. I don't, I, SMP I, I, do. As per the regulations at the moment, well, SMP Racing aren't a manufacturer. They don't. You can't buy an SMP Racing car, can you, from a showroom? SMP buy a or BR. A, SMP or a bank. Well, it's just a name, isn't it? Yeah, to, to sponsor. So, but it's sponsor, built by Delara. You're right, but Delara have had to badge it as a customer program. As a BR. This is all like that uh, famous uh, clothing company that sponsored uh, the yes. Ferrari Formula One team for years and years and years. True. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's 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 fascinating. Um, I, I, I'm interested to find out whether BMW continue to support IMSA after the uh, after Petit Le Mans, and, and yet, what we hear from Jens Marquardt on that is the head. Can't happening personally. And yet it no. worked for John Player Special. Yeah. Yes, it did. Well, they were John Player Specials when everyone knew they were Lotus. Mm-hmm. But there were John Player specials. For well, but that's years. that's different. That's sponsorship rather than yeah, yeah, yeah. than, than the manufacturing. Yeah. But it's the same as SMP. Ha- having said that, it's going to be very it's going to be very hard for the ACO now to say to Janetta, I'm sorry, you can't enter LMP1 because you're a manufacturer when you've got Alpine and Aurus in LMP2 when it is specifically forbidden for any was, automotive I was, manufacturer I was about to, say that. to be even as a sponsor there. Never mind a an entrant it's the, the situation is though that the, the ACO have got to have a bit of wriggle room or else we're not going to have 20 cars are we no they're, they're gonna they've got to make it attractive to to anybody uh, uh, true true but uh, yeah if you're going to be in the in the LMP1 fastest class then they, they're all about hybrid technology and who knows where we go next but it'll it will be the next step in technology whether that be all electric or hydrogen or or anything. Until the hybrid bubble I, I don't know. 
FIA um, obviously want hybrid uh, want hybrid technology in everything, and that's the, that's the big clashing of heads at the moment. I did start a poll last week about the three different factions involved in LMP. Uh, 2020, LMP1 2020, which was FIA for uh, hy- for hybrid, uh, ACO for GT++, and LMEM or uh, WEC for DPI, some version thereof, and suggested we set up a boxing ring and see who was the last man standing, and they would get the way. You, you've got a fourth faction, though, which is the manufacturers, who don't necessarily want any of any them. Any of them. No, well, they just want what they want. They want what they can win at. Yeah. Uh, the some thre- of them want hydrogen, some of them want... Well, the, the, the three major factions with, within the rules bodies are split at the moment into in thirds. And, and I suggest, and I said, you know, who do you think would win in a straight fight? And it appears Pierre Fion is getting the votes. In a straight fight, he might be little, but he's wiry, and apparently, you know, all well, the Fion family know how to win votes. Well, they do, they do. That's a, fa- it's a fair point. That if you look on Spectatorium, you'll see, you'll see that, Paul. Um, we're already well into overtime, but we we must, must, must talk. Can I go about... back to Ben Keating quickly? Yeah, go on very quickly. When uh, it was announced he was buying that Ford, mm. um, there was, I think, it was only speculation as to whether what he would do with this after Le Mans and whether he would continue to do another season with this in the uh, WEC afterwards. Have we had any firm commitment? Yes or yeah, no? Yeah, he's hinted, he hinted in the um, uh, in the interview to us that it would be silly to sort of let it sit there and gather dust for a whole year and whether he raced it in IMSA in GTLM or went into the WEC. I rather su- I rather suspect that depends how much Ford want to support it in the same way as we were talking about BMW. Uh, mm. and, and that uh, that 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 will be what defines Ben. Um, and and has and the other thing is and and I I didn't get an answer to this. Has he actually bought it or is he leasing it? Yeah, yeah, we didn't get an answer to that, did we? Mm. It's a good interview. What did Tim want to ask me, by the way? Uh, Joe, oh, can you remember Tim? Yes. Have you uh, remember at the start of the show, I introduced you as a gentleman of a certain age. Yes. Uh, going back to that theme, that means that uh, you do go to some events with cars of a certain age. They yes. all do. Yes. Uh, uh, including Goodwood. I was at the members meeting. Yes, uh, the members meeting and the revival are the ones I want to talk about. Right. Uh, with you, uh, because I uh, was You've got given two minutes. To I, do w- it. I was given a story a while ago, uh, which I thought, am I allowed to broadcast this story? Uh, because the source uh, has told me that. Uh, it is all top secret stuff. But last Thursday, uh, one of the people involved uh, revealed this uh, on his social media. So, uh, is I this driver's getting banned? We did this that, is driver's getting banned. Yeah, we did that already. Did we do this already? We did it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, yeah, no, but you're absolutely right. There's a number of drivers who have been banned for actually racing and not, and not keeping to the script, isn't there, basically? So in 30 seconds, Joe, your view on that? Yeah, I agree with it. It's not about... Keeping to the script at all. It's about having respect. This is not professional racing. These cars, I've got uh, actual real people who are on the cars behind them, and as, as well as the the provenance in the car, as well as the value in the car. It's just about 
you know, the problem with... And don't take it to a The problem track. like events like the Revival where you get, you know, you come and you put a pro driver in your car and the, the fact that you've done well at the at the Revival puts a, 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 a continues the provenance of the car. It's gotten a bit out of hand. And we've had, you know, pro, professional drivers using professional race tactics and being aggressive and overly aggressive and cars getting damaged and, more importantly, Goodwood is a circuit that is literally takes you back in time. No can, debris fencing. Can anywhere. I ask you one question? Though. Go ahead. If you're going to do that, why aren't you honest about it and say that that's what you want rather than trying to keep this quiet and do it all on the down low? I don't know. I don't know anything um, about it. Rather than say, look, it's not real racing, really. It's not real racing. We're not racing properly here. Who said this that? is just a bit of a show. Who said that? Well, that's what it is. And that's why these guys... That's why these guys... Are you trying to tell me that mini race was a bit of a show at the Goodwood Members Meeting? It was beautifully staged, I thought. (laughs) Really? (laughs) I'll mention that to Johnny Lewis the next time I see him. I'll say, hey, that was all choreographed, was it? Yeah, and stand well back. I don't think it was all choreographed, but I think there's a certain amount that it is. That's pure sport. Nah, it's not. It's not. I disagree. If it was, then you'd let the best drivers go in there and drive the cars. If you don't want to put your car in it because it's worth a we're bazillion not talking about dollars, that. we're talking about driving standards. We're talking about we're talking about over overly aggressive driving standards, modern day overly aggressive driving standards being applied to There's some big names that to period cars. Out. Yeah, because they've been overly aggressive. Okay. And chopping and 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 uh, and dive bombing, you know, trying to outbreak one another and and damaging and contact and all that. That's what we're on about here. We're not on about one. One of them has else. been, in fact, three of them have been banned for dropping oil. I mean, these are old cars. They're not going to be. It's got nothing to do with the driver, that has it. <laughs> right. All right. Let's How can you ban a driver for dropping oil? Did he did he then continue round on the drivers on the race mm. line or something? Or? Right. I need. To, we need to get to. We're nearly half an hour over time here, and shall we go for? The, for the four hours. No, we're, we're going <laughs> to. No. Tim, weekend. It was the uh, total ADSC 24-hour qualifying race. It who, was. Who was qualified then? Uh, well, you were commentating on it. I was asking Paul Truswell, and I'm still waiting for the answer. The actual uh, final qualifying sessions for the ADAC total 24 hours of the Nürburgring uh, will take place on the Thursday and Friday of that race which is the week immediately after Le Mans correct and which will be live here on RS1 and for a change we will have a midweek motorsport on that Wednesday after yes. Le Mans because we'll be doing that live from the Nürburgring so what was that t- that was what was that six uh, listen I enjoyed the six hour race it was great it was another fantastic race once again we saw dramatic changes in positions we saw one of the Porsches uh, with a steering issue although Lawrence Vantua uh, sort of uh, was determined to tell everybody that it was all about his bladder capacity which is why he pulled over nothing to do with the steering which I laughed heartily at Uh, so BMW's first second third two from um one from Volkenhorst, no, two from Volkenhorst, and one from Schnitzer BMW. So they cleaned up the podium. Um, so as Johnny said earlier, the GT3 product is is going well. So what what did we what did we actually decide in that six hours? Uh, well, some of those cars have qualified. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know which ones yet. Right, but it, it's all about the top 30 qualifying, isn't it? So. In VLN1, the 911 Manti, the 22 Wachenspiegel, the 102 Valkenhorst, 
and the 47 BOW, they qualified directly into the top 30 um, from that. In VLN2... Which didn't happen, but we did have a qualifying session. There was a qualifying session. 912, so that's both the Manti racing cars. AMG... Uh, HTP 4 and 48. Uh, looks, 4 looks suspiciously like a Black Falcon. Although it says HTP. No, 4 no. was always Black Falcon. Yeah, I agree. Okay, and then in the qualifying race, um, there were a further uh, 8 cars. Fricadelli number 31, which is a great result for them. Uh, the 7 Aston Martin racing. Really? In the qualifying session. Uh that no that's la- that must be last year oh you that's reckon? what you're looking at because Aston Martin weren't in you're right yeah right so more research s- needed scrub 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 that um, however it's all about getting into the top 30 for the shootout for pole position and there will be a list and it will be produced and it will be sent out and then we will add to that in the actual qualifying sessions that we are doing live and then Sorry, there's a top t- 10 t- shootout after that as well, is there? Uh, top 30. Top thir- oh, well, that's the top 30. Fine. I'm pleased you're uh, on the ball, John. Well, it took me too long there. I wasn't there, but... Uh, it took me too long there. As soon as I got the Aston Martin, there was no Aston scene. Although we should mention yeah. and say well done to the two brand new GT4 Aston Martins that Aston Martin uh, were running from the Experience Centre at the Nordschleife. Uh, with Darren Turner doing the two podium step shuffle a la Bernd Schneider a couple of years ago because he was second and third. Excellent. Mm-hmm. And that was a long stretch for his little legs between the two steps of the podium. Second and third. First and second or first and third. Fine. You could kind you of do, do that, that with yeah, one yeah. foot on each. Yeah. You try and stretch two feet when you're only the size of Darren Turner. And it's a big podium at the Nürburgring as well. Yeah. And they had a fantastic new innovation to get the drivers up to the podium quicker. Yes. Was it a um, one of those rope slide things? No, it was a brilliantly sensible idea. They brought a set of portable airline stairs into the pit lane and parked it up against so they could walk straight up and walk onto the top of the podium. I remember when they used to have Genius. a hoist which lifted the car up. Ah, oh, they did the that last year. Yes. Yeah. All right, that's, uh, uh, that's a few weeks' time. say uh, it was the Poe Grand Prix at the weekend. It was. Uh, and congratulations to Billy Munger who won that. Is that. Does that run to F3, not F3 rules now? Uh, no, that runs to different rules. This is the Euro Formula Open, which essentially evolved from World Series by Nissan, I think. Because that's good, but uh, a long way. Well so are these 3.5 it's, cars? It's the old Spanish Formula 3 championship. Yeah. Like Euro, Euro Formula Open. Right. But All right, so they are two-litre not... cars. Yes. were. Yeah, two-litre cars. Right. It's not no, Formula it's 3, though. Age. Formula 3, still not Formula 3, then. Correct. Right, OK. Uh, actually, not Formula 3. Not Formula 3, because they're not actually saying that it's Formula 3. Well, they're not allowed to say it's Formula 3. Or even F3. Um, Is that all we've got time for? Cause they're not to Lava's, though. Shock horror. Uh, next week, back at the same time, 8 o'clock, uh, with uh, well, some of the same voices. Uh, in the meantime, join us at the weekend, Friday and Saturday, for all of the sessions, either in sound or sound and vision, uh, from the Hankook 24-hour series, Poor, poor, you see, they thought about poor. Uh, Bruno, 12 hours, three hours of racing oh, on Friday. Could you imagine Friday. a 24-hour race at Poe? Wow. No. 
You not get have dizzy. Many, not have many cars left by hour 18. Or Marshalls. They'll have all gone home by then, if they had any sense. Uh, we'll speak to you then. Thank you. And not to... because they're being petulant Frenchmen. No, no, indeed. Uh, and we should say, actually, um, our condolences. We, we've spoken about a couple of deaths in motorsport. Our condolence goes to the French Marshalls family and all of his colleagues who had a heart attack and died at Le Mans uh, on the morning, I think, of the uh, Shark Helmets MotoGP. And it was Alex Rins, wasn't it, who rode up at the end to the post where he'd been working on, took off his helmet and gave it to his colleagues and gave them that as a souvenir and to auction off uh, the, the family which I thought was a very, very nice touch. Uh, our condolences to that and best wishes to all of our marshals, wherever they are uh, this weekend, here or further afield. And we'll be back at the weekend and again here next week. Bye-bye. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.